What is going on everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming and welcome to the 82nd episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today I am stoked to be joined once again by the legend, Windows Central's very own Samuel Tolbert, who's always standing by, ready to rock. I know last week I said Jeff Grubb was going to be here. Apparently Jeff Grubb forgot he was going to Niagara Falls or something like that. So Sam, Classic the, Jeff. The, the legend, stepping in to fill those shoes and, you know, second best hair in the game. Samuel Tolbert, how are you doing on this fine Saturday, my dude? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. And yeah, M Miles isn't exaggerating. Like, it was very last minute. You know, <laughs> that's, that's how these things work. And it worked out because I've been up to some cool stuff. So we can talk about that a little more in depth instead of just him like, hey, you know, texting me a couple of questions like he can actually converse with me. I can answer some of your questions. So it all worked out. It all and worked yeah, out you, beautifully. You, yes. You get the second best locks in the uh, gaming journalism game. So Ex exactly. You got the flowing Grub, locks Grub's as got well. Number one. I don't know if you guys followed me on Twitter recently. You saw my previous locks. Once upon a time, I had some majestic locks as well. And I posted a funny picture from I think it was. Uh, my senior picks from high school and my hair was just super power metal, hair metal, because that's what I was into Heck at yeah. the time. And people's minds were absolutely blown. So if you haven't seen that and you want to do some digging, it is on my Twitter and it is, uh, it's hilarious. It's the, the glamour shot of me looking sideways, holding a guitar, hair down to my chest. Smoldering. Just Smoldering, <laughs> if you will. But as Sammy T, the legend, has stated, we do have a lot of good stuff to talk about today. We're going to be diving into the latest developments regarding the Activision Blizzard King acquisition, the ongoing saga, the gift that keeps on giving. We're going to be talking about the Dead Space remake because Sam got to play it. You know, I'm not jealous at all, but Sam got to play a good four hours of Dead Space. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about Phil Spencer's shelves. It's been a minute, but Phil's back, baby. We're going to be talking about some teases he sprinkled in. We're going to be talking about 30 FPS gate. We're going to be talking about a bunch of other games. The divisive reviews of Scorn, Dragon Ball The Breakers, and so much more. But first, Sam, for the folks who maybe don't know, I know you're a, a staple, a regular returning figure, but let the folks know who you are and where they can find you. Sure. Well, to be fair, this, it's been a minute now. It's been a minute since we it's, were last It's been on, a few months, at least, yeah. La yeah, last time was uh, before the long break you had to take because you moved and all that. Like, mm -hmm. that was a big deal. A lot of things happened since then, but uh, that's, that is another conversation, shall we say. Uh, but no, if you don't know me, if you're not familiar with me, my name's Samuel Talbert. I'm a freelance writer over at Windows Central and a couple of its sister sites on the future, well, owned by Future PLC. Uh, Miles and I actually joined Windows Central at the exact same time. I like to joke that we were uh, filling out our paperwork together because we literally were. We, mm -hmm. we learned the ropes together, so it's been kind of cool to see Miles rise and everything he's done with the uh, video scene and the podcasting scene and growing our gaming channel. Because, I mean, so much of that has been him, and he's done a great job with that. So, uh, but yeah, and if you're interested in following me, you can follow me on Twitter at Samuel Talbert, T-O-L-B-E-R-T. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Like Sam said, we like Sam said, we've been together since day one over at WC. And it's been cool to see us build up our, our reputation, our, our social presence, our coverage. Sam does a lot of great reporting as well. So if you haven't been following Sam's work, uh, he does have a lot of great stuff that's worth checking out over on windowscentral.com. Got to give a quick shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. The folks like Yo Donnie, who mod like a boss. I see Poochie, Hargit Chani, a lot of amazing returning faces. A quick shout out 
or a quick reminder for the folks who maybe didn't catch it, but Xbox Chatterdays starts now at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So if you have been watching after the fact and you want to watch live, or if you're still figuring out the new live schedule, we moved it forward one hour. So 1 p.m. Eastern time every Saturday, we'll be rocking together. If you are digging the show on audio services, such as Spotify, Apple, leave us a review as well. That helps you know feed that algorithm, get it out to more folks. And I also want to give a quick shout out to the folks over at Kinda Funny. If you've been on social media this week, you have probably seen that they have unveiled the spare bedroom, their, their new studio, their new space. It's been years in the making. And yesterday was such a cool, magical moment for that team. See, I've been talking to folks like Mike and Blessing behind the scenes about, about the studio and about this project. And they've been so stoked about it for so long. And it's taken years. And yesterday to see it unveiled, to see Hideo Kojima have a hype video for the spare bedroom, to see people like Phil Spencer involved with the rollout of this, and to see all of these amazing industry figures coming together to celebrate all the hard work of this team, this team that literally started in a spare bedroom when they went independent. You know, they left IGN, these big things, to go do their own thing, and now they are a big thing, and that, that was so cool. So got to give a quick shout out to those guys. If you haven't checked out what they're doing, um, they have a brand new studio that looks absolutely incredible. And based on what they've been showing over the last day, uh, they have some amazing stuff in the works. So huge shout out to the, those guys. So stoked for the spare bedroom and so stoked for the, the next chapter of Kind of Funny. Sam, before we get into some of the main topics here today, there's something I want to touch on because, Uh-oh. you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of divisive things on this episode. And I want to start with a a seasonal divisive subject. And if you follow me on social media, you know where I stand here. But I made a terrible joke on an Xbox Game Pass post talking about Scorn being scary. And so I said, you better get that candy Scorn ready. And, and both Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, they came and dunked on my candy corn. And you know what? I will not stand for it. I have canceled my Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription. I will not be bullied by a a media giant like Xbox. And you know what? You would think with a a gaming subscription service that spends so much time curating great content that they would have some freaking taste, Sam. So I got to know where everyone here stands. I know candy corn is divisive. I know a lot of people don't like candy corn. So I'm going to ask the people watching live. I'm going to watch, ask the people listening after the fact. And I'm going to ask you, Samuel Tolbert, where do you stand on candy corn? Candy corn, Miles. Uh, well, you know what? If this is, this may be what gets me canceled. This might be, <laughs> but if that is the case, then all right, we're drawing swords together. We're making this last stand. Candy mm. corn is good. I, whenever the talk about candy corn comes up, this is so corny, pun intended. Oh, uh-huh. zippity zap. Yeah, we're already starting off good, right? Uh, I always feel like uh, the Punisher on trial when he's like, hell, I loved it. I didn't just like it. I'll do it again. I'm just itching for it. I love candy corn. C- come at me. Cancel me. This is it. Crucify me here. I, I love the stuff. I can't wait for it to go on sale. And hey, you know what? All you people who don't appreciate the taste, you're dropping the price down further for me. So, you know what? It's, it's funny because, yes, candy corn people feel passionately about candy corn. 
it's in up there with pineapple on pizza in terms of a thing that a lot of people just hate with, with a fiery passion. And when I said candy corn is good after getting lambasted by Xbox Game Pass, um, a lot of people came in my thread and said, this is the worst take you've ever had. Uh, candy corn is absolute garbage. <laughs> and here's where I stand definitively on candy corn. Candy corn, the first six pieces, pure ecstasy, pure delight. Just have a heavenly seasonal treat. After six pieces, it gets it does get gross. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's very sugary, it's very sweet, and you need to eat it in moderation. All right. It's not like gummy bears or MMs or bunch of crunch where you can just crush an entire container. You can crush handfuls. If you crush handfuls of candy corn, it's gross. It is gross. But if you pace yourself, you you divide out six little kernels and you just Savor it? Oh, heavenly. Absolutely heavenly. But I respect people's distaste for it. I know it is polarizing, but I just had to know where you stand. And I'm curious to see where the chat stands. Alex says, I love you, Miles, but candy corn is garbage. Um, Hargeet says, I don't eat any candy. Okay. Okay. Um, Yodani says, he never lets pro candy corn folks into his home. Harsh. Uh-oh. Harsh. Um, but yes, this I, is, you realize this is going to be like the most disliked episode of Chatterdays. Oh yeah. Ever, right. Just, like this is awful. Yeah, yeah. Like I, um, I know where people stand. Okay. I'm, that's not going to make me lie about how I feel about candy corn. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, if it's just, I have a refined palate and some people don't, but candy corn's good. Candy corn. I'm, I'm is looking a... forward. I'm looking forward to your next video. Candy corn. My brutally honest review. <laughs> All caps. Doing the YouTuber face. Candy corn. My brutally honest review. And then it cuts to five seconds of me saying, "I think candy corn's pretty good." And that's it. That's the. That's my brutally honest review of candy corn. I think it's pretty good. All right. I had to get it out there because yeah, we were having some fun online uh, over the last couple of days about candy corn, and I know people are sick of hearing me talk about candy corn and post about candy corn, but this is it. This is I just wanted it on the record where I stand and where you stand on candy corn. So thank you for backing me up. Thank you for having great taste, and that's why I bring you on the show because you come in with great takes. Like candy corn is good, and I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Sam, let's get into the first topic, and this is a very recent one. This one started bubbling up pretty much over the last day, and this wasn't originally on the show docket, but it's something I figured we need to talk about because a lot of people are talking about that online, and some internet detectives were doing some digging, and they saw that on the store listing on the Xbox page for Gotham Knights, the 60, 60 FPS badge wasn't listed, and so that got folks speculating that Gotham Knights maybe isn't 60 FPS on console. And so mm -hmm. after a lot of people were sharing that and that kind of went viral, the official Gotham Knights Discord commented on this saying that, yes, Gotham Knights on PS5 and Xbox Series X is in fact locked at 30 FPS. And so a lot of people have had very conflicted thoughts. A lot of people were very excited about this release. This stood as one of the big holiday releases for 2022 and batman is obviously a very huge franchise the arkham series beloved a lot of people love what rocksteady has done what they've built and they've loved some of the spin-offs as well and so a lot of folks were ready for this and eager for this but now i feel like it's painted this game in a negative light for a lot of folks 
And for people unaware, the reasons that they cited for this being locked at 30 FPS was open world untethered co-op being the primary one and the visual fidelity of the game. And we've seen people since then have a lot of opinions about, about that. So before we, we talk about all of that, Gotham Knights has ditched last gen. Originally, Gotham Knights was announced for Xbox One, PS4, and then Series X and PS5. Once they ditched the previous gen, they also announced this game would be $70. So this is a $70 current gen only release, and there is not a performance mode that is going to be available at launch for this game. Sam, how are you feeling about that announcement? We're close to the launch. We're very close to the launch. Extremely. Just it's the 21st, right? Because it got bumped up. Yeah, we're correctly. we're basically a week away, more or less. From... A, a week, less than a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, how are you feeling about that type of news coming out this close to the release of this game? Not great. Not great, Miles. I, I really, really am not. Th this is not great. Um, and I'm going to break down. There's a few different things going on here. Some are more important than others. So I want to go down the list, and then I want to get your opinion as well. For starters, I think we have to keep in mind that this generation has been stretched out. I've been saying for a long time, and others have as well, this generation is going to be longer just because of the pandemic and what happened with game development. And like so many games from Gotham Knights was delayed. Remember, Gotham yeah. Knights was supposed to be out in 2021. Yep. The game was supposed to be out at minimum a year ago, if not more than a year ago. That's fine. Tons of games were delayed. Not holding it against the, de the developers or WB. That's totally okay. However, like you said, it was a cross-generation game. Originally, this game was going to run on Xbox One and PS4. Yep. In light of this recent news, I now shudder to think about what those versions would have looked like. That would have not been great. <laughs> not been great at all. Yes. I understand that untethered co-op requires a lot of effort. Tethering in co-op is a big deal. Most games have like a limitation on how far you can go because it is CPU intensive. That is a true fact. That is, that's fair. Okay. But here's the thing. One, well, two things, actually. One, this game is possible to play by yourself. I understand that most people are going to want to play it in co-op. That's the way I wanted to play it. When I was thinking about picking it up, I was going to be like, hey, if I can find a good friend, one of my close friends to play it with, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's save Gotham together. But you can play this game by yourself. Yes. In single player. There that is a is single player option. campaign. Yes. yes. You are not required to play this game in co-op. No. So, the other thing is, this game, according to the developers, on Series X and PS5, Series S is presumably cut back a little just because of, you know, the limitations. That's fine. Supposedly, on the two lead consoles there, it runs at native 4K with ray tracing effects. So, I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. Because I'm not a game developer. I did not work on the game. I, I don't know anyone who personally worked on this game. Um, or would have rather in a very long time, at least. I don't buy it. I, d I don't buy the idea that a performance mode cannot be made for this game. I'm sure it would require cutbacks. I'm sure. I'm sure it would have required or will require a lot of effort. I'm sure you're going to have to turn the ray tracing off. It's gonna, you're going to have to drop the resolution a lot. You might have to reduce other effects. But I don't believe that it couldn't be done. There's just, you look at other games, you look at other, because this has happened before with other games. Watch Dogs Legion, remember? Yes, that, that launched launch, ray tracing 4K30. 
No performance mode. No performance mode no. of any kind. They said it couldn't be done. A couple months later, well, a few months to be fair, it was, it was actually more like half a year. What happens? Performance mode. And it was drastic. They did have to cut back a lot. That's fine. Guardians of the Galaxy, Mar Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy uh, by Eidos Montreal before Square Enix yeeted them over to Embracer. Incredible game. Love it. You should go play. It's on Game Pass and PS Plus. So quick sidebar there. If you haven't played it, please do. Uh, but that game has a performance mode. They have to cut back a lot. No ray the, uh, There's the 4K 30 visual mode that has ray tracing. It looks gorgeous. The performance mode is 1080p 60 with no ray tracing, but they still managed to do it. I don't... I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be rude. I don't buy that you can't do it. And I find it a little suspicious that this information is only just now coming out six days before the game launches. I think that's the, my the, piece. The, the worst element of this is players have expectations now, as we've seen when Assassin's Creed Valhalla launched and that had 60 FPS and Watch Dogs Legions launched. That was like an experiment with Ubisoft to see what people preferred. Do they want the higher fidelity and the 30 FPS or do they want the 60 FPS? And I think pretty unanimously people wanted 60 FPS and Assassin's Creed Valhalla in a lot of ways was better received because it was 60 FPS out of the gate. There were other issues with Watch Dogs Legion for sure, but the precedent has been set with current gen consoles that players want an option for 60 FPS. Saints Row dunked on by a lot of folks did not have a, a stellar release. But I have to commend that team because there are a lot of technical elements and we've seen a developer from Rocksteady come out and unfortunately challenge the gamers. They essentially tell gamers that they don't know how game design works. And I think in a lot of cases that is fundamentally true. A lot Agreed. of us assume things are way easier than they are. I've talked to a lot of developers on and off the record about things like co-op, especially untethered co-op. And so I understand a lot of the principles that go into that. Saints Row, that delivered untethered co-op. And that game was 60 FPS. It wasn't necessarily locked per se, but the physics, that had a lot of high level physics calculations happening that based on what I've seen from Gotham Knights, Gotham Knights is not going to have that level of physics. Physics also take a lot of CPU. The in-depth character customization of Saints Row also eats a lot of CPU as well, but they managed to do it. And not only that, they gave you so many options. You had, I think, four or five different graphics options. So you could do 4K 30, or you could do 1440p balanced and, and prioritize 60 FPS, or you could do 1440p with ray tracing, or you could do 1080p max settings across the board with ray tracing, or 1080p 120 FPS. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people talked about, about Saints Row at launches. They mm -hmm. gave you so many options because... Gotham Knights is available on PC. You're going to be able to pick it up on PC, and I guarantee you, even with my RTX 2070, which isn't that powerful in the grand scheme of things, I'm going to be able to drop the resolution to 1080, adjust some settings, and play that game at 60 FPS. Mm -hmm. I can pretty much guarantee you that that is. Looking at the minimum specs, and the minimum specs that they've listed for PC are low. They're very, very low. And so they're saying you don't need that powerful, you don't need that powerful of a rig on PC to play this, but they're also telling you that I, this is based on the one particular developer. I'm not going to say that person's name. I don't want people dogpiling on this developer by any means. But the developer who commented on the situation has come out and said that these new machines basically are capped out. They're, they're not powerful enough. Sorry, it is what it is. Uh, we can't do it. And that's, that's kind of the stance that this individual took. And much like you, I, 
I don't really buy that that's the reasoning. I understand if you are a developer, if you're someone who has spent years working on a game, you put all this energy, you're excited to see it launch, you're right next to the launch, and then you have a lot of people coming online and saying, oh, this is 30 FPS, I'm not buying this game. And I'm sure if you've invested years of your life, it is going to be frustrating. It's going to be upsetting to hear people say that because it's 30 FPS, it, everything else could be absolutely perfect. And I'm sure a lot of these people who worked on the game feel that they're, this project is going to be fantastic to have someone come out and say, well, it's 30 FPS, so I don't care. I don't care about anything else. The rest of the game does not matter to me because it's 30 FPS. And so I understand from the developer's perspective why you would be upset, why you would be frustrated with the, the, the discourse surrounding it. But also, expectations have shifted from customers, from players. People want 60 FPS. So I put a poll out yesterday, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask the people watching, but the poll was essentially, would you rather play at 4K 30 FPS or 900p 60 FPS? Sam? I mean, I voted in the poll and I chose 900p 60 FPS. There might be exceptions, to be clear. There might be a tiny handful of exceptions where like a turn-based game, for example, where the frame rate just, it does not matter at all. The kind of games you usually play on your Nintendo Switch. Like, okay, maybe in that instance, I would go for like the eye candy instead and choose the 4K. But if like a shooter, third person or first person, no, I'm going to choose the frame rate. 60 FPS just feels so much better. And I don't even mind if the options have to be, you know, very disparate. Just give me the option. That's fine. We've seen with Flight Simulator, Miles, uh, you know, Microsoft Flight Simulator, that has a VRR only performance mode. You, yeah. you have to have a VRR enabled TV in order to unlock the frame rate because it's not great. Even if that's what you have to do, okay, at least you are putting an option out there. At least there is something that, you know, players can do to try and increase the performance on console. Give players the option. Um, you know, give an unlock frame rate cap. Warning, may not be stable. Even then, I think I would personally be okay with that. I don't know about you. Yeah. You would be okay with that. Just the option is what it is. If you, and, and more than anything else, I think I just want anyone to own up for what the reasoning is. If you want to just say, no, we wanted to focus on the visuals and that's what we want this game to be, I can at least respect if you own up and say that. Yes. Honestly. And that's, again, I'm very conflicted and I'm, I, I try to be careful with how I word this because I have talked to a lot of developers behind the scenes and I do understand that things are a lot more complicated when we say like, why isn't it just 60 or why doesn't it have co-op or why is this tethered? There are a lot of technical limitations behind the scenes that impact that. But that being said, only having one option. So essentially having no options for how to play this game, a current gen only game. I think in this current day and age, a lot of players are going to find unacceptable because a lot of your contemporaries, regardless of what they personally want to prioritize, empower the player to have that option. And it's really disappointing for folks who've pre-ordered, who are looking forward to this, looking forward to playing this on their current gen only hardware that it's capped at 30 FPS. And again, one of my most anticipated games right now is Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. It's going to be 720p, 30-ish FPS, and 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not going to play a game at 30 FPS. Mm-hmm. Gotham Knights, personally, it wasn't really for me. It wasn't something I was going to rush out and buy. So I don't get to sit here and say, well, I'm not buying it because it's 30 FPS because I wasn't going to buy it either way. But I do feel for the folks who were really excited about this. I have a one of my best friends. He was really looking forward to Gotham Knights. And he was ready. He was ready to buy it. Um, and then after this news yesterday, he was really disappointed. And he's now probably not going to buy it. And again, it's not him necessarily taking a, a moral stand or boycotting the company or anything like that. It's just based on his preferences, how he wants to play. This doesn't align. And because of that, he's not going to spend $70, which is a big asking price on this game. Um, somebody in the chat here was just saying that, let me find that here, about the graphics. Again, Christopher Jetzer is saying this. I don't have the data on me to verify whether or not this is true, but Christopher is stating that... The 1660 Ti supports 1080p, 60 FPS. The PS5 and Xbox Series X are far more capable than the 1660 Ti. Just far, far more capable. So to say that the hardware is the problem, I don't think is fair. And and if they, I hope they put out an official statement because mm-hmm. what this reads to me with the four-player co-op mode coming one month after launch, um, and this now, this no-performance mode at launch, they had to prioritize one mode for launch. And they decided right. that they are going to prioritize the graphic mode for launch, and that's what it's going to be. Um, I would almost bet money, I would almost bet you a lot of money that down a few months after launch, we're going to get mm-hmm. a performance mode. Give it six to eight months. Yep. I, I would throw big money down on that being a reality because people are going to be loud about it. And I think, unfortunately, they were just forced to target this, this window. That is the window mm-hmm. they decided on. They had some hard conversations behind the scenes, and they're only going to be able to ship one version at launch, at this October launch, and they are prioritizing the graphics version. So it's disappointing. It's definitely disappointing. Um, is this, was this something you were excited about? Was this something you were personally going to buy? I was interested, uh, Miles. I'm not going to sit here and claim I was going to buy it definitely because I wasn't sure. But I was I was teetering on the fence. I wanted a good co-op game that also had some good narrative. I've spoken with you at length before about how so many co-op games, it's like they, they don't have good narratives. Like this was this was looking appealing to me. I wanted yeah. to like this game. But there have been some other issues completely unrelated to this that I've been like, eh all right, let's see. I'm not so sure about this. We'll see how this looks. I've got mixed feelings. I was going to wait for reviews. I was going to wait for impressions from people I know who, God bless them, I love them. They just buy everything. That's how it is. And see what they had to say um, because they give honest opinions. They just buy everything. That's how it is. And uh, I was going to go from there. So, yeah, I'm and- not. that doesn't mean I won't buy it now, but it's definitely a hair less likely than it was before. Yes, and again, we spent a lot of, uh, some most of our favorite games of all time, if you've been playing games for a while, were 30 FPS. And I'm not in the camp that 30 FPS is unplayable, but I am in the camp that I would 100% of the time prefer a 60 FPS mode. If it's there, I'm going to select it. I don't care how great it looks at 30 FPS. I'll toggle it on once and take some screenshots and then go, okay, give me that 60 FPS, please. Um, so... It is disappointing for a lot of folks, and it is. it has been this unfortunate development right before the launch, which has painted that 
I don't, I don't want to say developer, but painted that publisher in a negative light because this is something that people are only discovering right before the game launches. And there was no official statement ahead of people finding the store listing and, and pointing it out before we got any sort of confirmation of this. I think that's the most unfortunate thing. And it'll be interesting to see, like you said, is this just going to come out and people are going to be, okay, well, I want to play Batman. I think it's also 60 bucks on PC as well. So again, another example of the the console tax you're paying more for less you don't, you don't have an option for 60 like i said i guarantee you that you can even with a moderate pc you can play this game at 60 fps so i personally don't buy the whole well the hardware's capped out i think we it's this hardware has a lot of room to grow um but i do wonder with the cancellation of the xbox one and ps4 versions of this game if they were just unplayable. And that's that's the reason they transitioned. I, I, I think so, Miles. I think especially especially because it is true, Untethered Co-op would take a lot of CPU power. I bet I would bet money that the co-op versions of this at least would have been unplayable. Maybe yeah. you could have like struggled through in single player, but I do not think the co-op versions on Xbox One and PS4 were uh were very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I do not think so. Let us know in, in the comments and let us know in the chat where you stand on this. I know it's been very divisive. I know people feel very passionately. And um, again, I, I totally get it. If you were excited about this game, you wanted to play at 60 FPS, that, that dream of playing it at launch is it's dead. It's dead and gone. <laughs> I'm going to get some super chats real quick. We got Yo Donnie, who says, 30 FPS is too filmic for me. I've seen the light. And I think that's where it really changed. Like when people got the new hardware, when people got their PS5, they got their Series X, and they got to play most games at 60 FPS. I think yeah. that changed a lot of people's expectations. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's unfair of a customer to want 60 FPS. It's um, reality. It's just, it's neither good nor bad. It is reality. And as always, we must attend to reality. I mean, Miles, there were a few games, uh, Watch Dogs Legion was one, and we mentioned that already, that didn't get the patch until later. But as far as I am aware, someone can correct me on this, at this moment in time of games that you can buy and play and download on your Xbox Series X and your PS5, Series S is a little different. I know there's a few that are more cut back there because the hardware, but on the Series X and the PS5, I believe the medium is the only game capped at 30 FPS with no option. Someone that actually, is, on that that one actually isn't even capped. That one, when you play it on Series X, you you get about 45 FPS, I would say. Okay, so it's it, just an uncapped. It's just frame uncapped rate. frame rate. But yeah, not, okay, so. not 60, definitely not 60. But they at least just said, all right, it's uncapped. Here you go. That's that at least, you know, we're giving you all we can in terms of frame rate. Yeah, but I'm just saying that to your point, Miles, of like, this is not, oh, a lot of games. This is not, oh, half of games or two thirds of games. Like people have been accustomed to the option of 60 FPS. Yeah. an increased performance mode and that's and if a developer and look i'm gonna say this right now wb montreal is not going to be the only developer to do this i'm telling as we move into a current gen only time as more xbox one and ps4 games are left behind there's going to be other games that are not going to offer a performance mode at least at first and i'm curious to see how that goes to say the least Yes, I have a feeling there are going to be some games coming very soon that are not 60 FPS. I'm really curious very to see um, how people feel about it. You know, people mm -hmm. are very vocal right now. Um, but what happens when it's your most anticipated game? What happens when your most anticipated game is 30 FPS? Are you skipping we'll it see. then? 
I think that's a harder question. It's easy for me to he- right. sit here and say, I'm not going to get Gotham because it's 30 FPS, but I probably wasn't going to get Gotham if it was 60 FPS. But you tell me the game I'm looking forward to the most right now is not 60? That's a different conversation. That's, that's mm-hmm. an entirely different conversation. Nick W. asks, Hi guys, what's your thoughts on Deadly Premonition? Sam, have you played this this cult classic Dead, Deadly Premonition? I have not. I have not. This take it away, Miles. I cannot offer input here. It's beautiful. It's weird. Um, Deadly Premonition is this cult classic that borrows a lot from stuff like Twin Peaks. Um, it's kind of a supernatural horror. I say horror very lightly because most of the time you you just you're laughing at the absurdity of all of it. Um, I like it. It's very corny. It's very campy. It reminds me of B horror movies from the early nineties in in the best ways. Um, if you are a horror fan, a campy, I must say, if you're a campy horror fan, it's not traditional horror. It's not scary at all. Um, deadly premonition is it's a blast. It's, it's a cult classic. It is the right kind of bad. It's so bad that it is almost perfect. Is, is how I would ex- describe Deadly Premonition 1. I haven't played the sequel because I've heard really mixed things. Actually, I've honestly just heard really negative things, and that's unfortunate. But the original, Deadly Premonition, I think Origins, they re-released it. If you haven't played that, check it out. Sam, actually, hold on. I got to give a quick shout out to all the amazing people joining us live on youtube.com slash Windows Central Gaming if you are digging the show. Hit that like button, share it out. Let's pump these numbers up. Smash that like button, if you will. Subscribe, ring the bell. Oh, you, you know the drill. Um, with that being said, and we get to talk about Phil's shelves. And it's been a little while since we've gotten to break down and examine Phil's shelves. Because every time he's in a video or every time he shares a picture of his shelves, it's a moment. The internet detectives are busting out their magnifying glasses and they are combing over every nook and cranny for clues, Easter eggs, hints at what's next for the future of Xbox. Because infamously, Phil Spencer straight up hid the Xbox Series S on a bookshelf ahead of the reveal of that. So he's notorious for being sneaky. He, he, the Luden statue. That was highly debated whether or not that meant anything. And as we know Come now... For that one. Took a yeah. long while for that one to pan out. That one was sitting, percolating for a while before that came mm-hmm. to fruition. But now we know Kojima is working on an Xbox. Ex- Kojima Productions is working on an Xbox exclusive. So, I'm gonna drop a little picture here for the folks watching on the video version. This is what we're working with here. This is the latest picture that was celebrating, basically, the 25th anniversary of Fallout. So he was highlighting the Pip Boy. He was saying, congrats to Bethesda, congrats to 25 years of Fallout. It was just a very wholesome post about this anniversary. One thing everyone has pointed out, if you have not seen this picture, at the very top of his shelf, right underneath that epic Elden Ring sword, is a teeny, teeny, tiny Xbox device that looks eerily similar to an Xbox Series S, like a little little baby Xbox Series S. So this has got people speculating that maybe Phil is showcasing or teasing the long-rumored Xbox Keystone, which is the cloud-only Xbox device. Windows Central has previously reported on this. Jez Corden has previously talked about this, but essentially this would be a very low price point 
device that would connect to your TV via HDMI. This would allow you to stream games via Xbox cloud streaming, and it would also integrate streaming apps, Netflix, HBO, etc. So Sam, what do you think about this? Do you think Phil is actually teasing new hardware just in plain sight? This one's not even hidden. This is not a, a subtle yeah, I, tease. Hidden is doing some work in that sentence, was what I was about to say. I mean, I think so, Miles. The official Xbox, or was it the Xbox Game Pass? One of the two accounts even, like, directly replied to Phil and said, like, hey, Phil, stop, you know, teasing old prototypes on putting them on your shelf. So I think so. I do think, and Jez has talked a little bit about this as well. Um, I know he was talking about this on his podcast with Rand uh, yesterday. I didn't catch the full thing, but I caught him talking about this. Like, that isn't the final look. Uh, it has probably changed a little bit more. Jez's reporting has indicated that that device is not exactly what Microsoft has settled on. They're going to be evolving it a little more. They're thinking through it a little more. But uh, no, I think it absolutely is. And it's a fun tease. It's, it's a, a fun, fun tease. Yeah, it's a fun tease. And like, yeah, Jez has reported on previously, it sounds like there was one model, one iteration that they had, but that is being reworked and redesigned a little bit before they bring it out to market. So maybe this was the original prototype. It's just a fun relic that he has to let people know that, yeah, this is something they're still working on and this is what it could have looked like, but maybe this isn't the fi final iteration of it. Because I imagine if it was the final iteration, it would maybe be a little more subtle, a little more hidden, but I don't know, maybe he is just going all out and saying, yeah, this is what we're aiming for, little baby Series S, and I think that would be fun, a little miniature Series S. Um, so now I got to ask some questions about this device and mm -hmm. ask you and the community what, what you would want from this device. So I have a couple big questions. When I'm looking at the marketing potential of this, when I'm looking at the appeal of this, what features would you want from this device? And what price point would you want a streaming only Xbox device to hit? So I think some basic things like a little bit of local storage in order to make sure you can still save photos, save game clips, um, stuff like that. Even though you're not installing games directly on the device, you still want to be able to store the stuff that you, you know, save from your capture. So I don't know, maybe a limited internal storage like 50 gigs, maybe a 50 gigabyte uh, hard drive, a 50 gigabyte SSD. Uh, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it would still have to be an SSD just to make sure the operating system is fast. So, like, yeah, a very tiny SSD, not meant for storing games. I think that would uh, make sense. Media center stuff, it needs to be... My thinking here, Miles, honestly, is, like, try to rival Apple TV in terms of media center yes. stuff. Make it so all your entertainment in one place. Uh, I know Jez and others at Windows Central have written before about how Microsoft has not done a great job sometimes with like its media center stuff. Maybe they have improved in recent uh, couple last couple of years. They have gotten a lot better about it. Still a ways to go. So revamping some of that stuff, making that stuff available, because if people are streaming their games, they're also going to want to stream movies. They're going to want to stream TV shows. I think outside of that, a lot of... A lot of the stuff that I would like to see from this thing is stuff more directly related to xCloud or Xbox Cloud Gaming Beta, rather. Like, I think that service still needs to maybe not necessarily come out of beta, but it still needs to improve. I like a lot of things about it. But, for example, starting up a game still takes too long, in my opinion. Um, yeah, Stadia it can be has, like a minute or more. It can be a minute or longer. It, it can be a long time. And if you exit out, it's just it's gone instantly or like you might have a few seconds. But if you if you tab away to check a notification on your phone or your tablet, like you're done, that's it. So yep. it needs to be able to handle maybe even multiple streams 
potentially. I don't know how that would work. I don't know if that's possible, but just, oh, I can swap between up to three games at one time, something quasi quick resume. I think that could be interesting to make sure that people, because you have to keep in mind, this is going to be targeted at mass audience. This is meant for casual players. It needs to be as accessible as possible. Yes. You are targeting the people for whom the $300 comes with a game and Game Pass bundled in Series S is still too expensive. And if you're going to hit mass market, you, you need to, to go as broad as possible. Those are the things that come to mind for me. Uh, last, because I know you're going to ask this, so I'll just preempt you a little bit. Pricing, I struggle to see this thing succeeding if it's well over $150. Honestly, $100 would be the ideal. I agree wholeheartedly with pretty much all of your points. This device needs to be hyper affordable because they've already come out with the Series S, which we've seen on sale at Target for $250 already. So there's right. a world very soon where I think they just drop the price point or run a lot of promotions to keep this about $250. Bucks. So let's say by the time this comes out, we can expect the Series S to have a value of $250 bucks because it's going to just continue to be bundled with games, Game Pass, controllers, whatever the case might be. 250 bucks. So, like you said, this needs to be for someone who is not going to spend 250 bucks on an Xbox console. That being said, it also needs to deliver an experience that is compelling. You're trying to build up Xbox Cloud Gaming. You're trying to convince a mass market that Xbox Cloud Gaming is a viable substitute for some people. Again, they're not trying to replace core consoles with cloud gaming. They have said that time and time again, but there's a contingent of people who aren't ever going to buy a console. And so this needs to be, in my eyes, $100. It needs to be $100, and then they should offer a bundle that comes with either a controller and three months of Xbox Game Pass for $150, like the Pro Edition or whatever, whatever the case might be here. But the core device needs to be about $100. Outside of that, if you start getting upwards of $150 and beyond... You're looking at, I'd, I can just spend $100 and get an actual dedicated console that can do all of this. It can do all of this. So some big asks for me, it needs to have 4K for the, the apps that support it. It needs to have the best possible Wi-Fi card imaginable. It needs to have stellar Wi-Fi mm -hmm. because people are not going to be hardwiring this thing. They want the convenience. And we've seen with Wi-Fi adapters and cloud gaming that it, it, it can be hit or miss. And if that experience isn't rock solid, people are not going to be excited about the future of cloud gaming. So this needs to be affordable and needs to check a lot of boxes and it needs to deliver an experience that gets us close to native. It doesn't have to be as good as native, but as we've learned, convenience is more important than anything else to most people. So if you can give people a cheap experience that is good enough on a lot of levels and close enough to native, they're happy. They will be fine with that. There will be the people who want the dedicated experience, who want the dedicated hardware, but this does have the potential to open up the Xbox platform to way more people. You can look at Xbox and they can leverage the value of Xbox Game Pass because we know new TVs are going to have Xbox Game Pass integrated. We know Samsung's doing that. We can safely assume other manufacturers are going to be doing that, but a lot of people already have a nice TV and they're not gonna go buy a new TV mm. And they're not going to go buy an Xbox console. So you give them for something for about a hundred bucks, that sweetens the pot. And then you say, oh snap, this Starfield's coming out. Oh snap, if I buy this little box, I can play Starfield. I mean, that's, that's enticing. And that's what this is about is just 
growing Xbox's footprint, getting Xbox into as many homes as possible and getting Xbox onto as many devices as possible because that's Xbox's strategy right now. It's not necessarily about the Xbox Series X and S. It's about the Xbox ecosystem, the Xbox platform. And this is just another uh, chess move in, in kind of growing that global presence. So this needs to be hyper affordable. This need, this cannot be a $150 baseline item. It's just, in my eyes, it can't because there are going to be, be people who say, oh, it's only cloud and it's 150 plus I need a subscription. Mm -hmm. I'm good. So ideally, if they can bundle a controller and keep it, they can give you a controller and sell this thing for a hundred bucks. I think that's, that's the way to go and just sell it at a loss and get people sub to the subscription service. Cause that's your, your primary goal with, with this device. But that's a hard ask because I know they want to make sure that the experience is good. And that is why they are doing a dedicated box instead of a streaming stick. Because they could do a super cheap streaming stick, have it be good enough right. and be on their way. But this needs to be better than good enough. This needs to be a, an experience that is close to native, as close to native as we can get. Otherwise, people are going to bring Xbox into their home for the very first time. They're going to have a negative experience with this service mm -hmm. and that's it that was that was their shot to bring someone on to xbox and now they're like eh, i tried it i didn't like it the experience wasn't good and that's not that's not a good place to be yep. so i gotta ask sam there's some other stuff on the shelf and phil is notorious for teasing other things on the shelf obviously ludens still there still loud still proud ludens standing right in the center one other thing that caught my eye and maybe I missed this on a previous shelf tease, but something that stood out to me is now the Alan Wake faceplate is directly under the Xbox light, the Xbox logo. Do you think there's anything of significance to that? I thought that was interesting, and I don't remember I'm, seeing I'm, that before. But I'm leaning towards no. I'm, I'm leaning towards no. Look, if if Phil wants to surprise us and get like a Game Pass day one deal for Alan Wake 2, I'll be the first person to scream for joy <laughs> to the high heavens. But I don't think that is. I think it's more likely, oh, I have this Xbox prototype. I need to readjust and make some room. Things are going to get shuffled around. Yeah. I, I, I think it's more likely that's just whatever. Yeah, because he's got the cloud. He's got the Logitech cloud handheld there. He's got the Xbox Keystone. There's a lot. The Kojima game is also a cloud-focused game, reportedly. Um, so there's a lot of things. Advertising cloud in this image. A lot of cloud-centric things here. And again, the Alan Wake thing could be nothing at all. He does have a lot of stuff on the shelf that is purely decorative. Could definitely be that. But the last time he positioned something right next to that Xbox light was the Kojima was the Luden statue. And I, I don't know. That's my conspiracy brain running wild. But yeah, maybe that does suggest a little, little game pass, something, something for Alan Wake 2. I don't know. Maybe that suggests Alan Wake Remastered is coming to Game Pass. Again, I go. don't know. That's maybe more realistic, maybe more likely. Maybe both. Let's go big and bold. Maybe both. Alan Wake Remastered coming a few months before they announced that Alan Wake 2 is launching Game Pass. Baby, let's go. Pure, pure speculation. Pure speculation. We got a super chat from Christopher Jetzer, who says, I remember Digital Foundry talking about Unreal Engine 5 games possibly going to 30 FPS on consoles. Thoughts? So we touched on this a little bit. Um, 
I I need full context for the conversation there, but I'm inclined to believe it was just some speculation of, oh, what would happen if developers did just target 30 FPS using Unreal Engine 5? What could they build doing that? Because everyone talks about frame rate and co-op and online networking for CPUs, but you can use CPU for other stuff, physics, like in Saints Row. Uh, AI. AI is one I'm personally excited about. I think yes. we're long overdue for more investment into better game AI. Uh, wh- absolutely. So, I don't know. I-, I need the exact clip for full context about what they were talking about, though. I will say, speaking to developers on this 30 FPS conversation, we're not going to be able to get it all. We're not going to be able to get the right. best looking games that have ever existed, that have amazing physics, that have amazing AI and run at 60 FPS. There are going to be teams, like we touched on, who decide what's more important to them. Frame rate, or physics, or fidelity, or AI. And it's going to be this delicate balance to figure out what they can achieve and what the audience is going to accept. As we've seen with Gotham Knights, a lot of the audience is not stoked. I put out that poll asking if you would rather play at 4K30 or 900p60. And it's got... 3,000 votes, I think, at this point, and 81% of people would be willing to play a game at 900p, 60 FPS, instead of 4K 30. And that says a lot about what people want and what people expect. So, hypothetically, let's say a Hellblade 2, let's say a Starfield, for example, those don't end up being 60. Um, I would be very curious to see how the community feels about that. Um, and how the developers and platforms kind of justify that to, to players, because I think there will be some conversations where we have to decide. And, um, as we've talked about, people are accustomed to that 60, baby. People are very accustomed to that 60. And so when you, when, if we lose that with big games, I think people are going to be very upset. And I imagine that Starfield is going to figure out a way to be 60. Hellblade. I'm curious. I'm very curious if Hellblade mm-hmm. is going to be 60, to be honest, because they are targeting maximum visual fidelity. They want oh, yeah. this game to look beautiful. And what we've seen, it looks incredible. It looks absolutely visually, visually stunning. It's a very cinematic experience. So are they going to say, well, it's hyper-realistic, it's cinematic, so therefore it doesn't need to be 60? I don't know. Again, if I can have the option, I'm going to do it. So maybe they'll just say, all right, this is this is our way we recommend you play the game, but here's potato mode at 60 FPS if you want it. And I think a lot of people, if you give them that option, that's all they want. That's that's all they want. Um, Hargi Chani says, wasn't Alan Wake 2 marketed by Sony? Not likely that it is coming to GamePad. I don't remember who revealed Alan Wake 2. I know it's an Epic Game Store exclusive on the PC side. I don't know if that's going to impact its potential for Game Pass. I'm Um, not sure either of them have the marketing for it, to be honest. I mean, they might. That's entirely possible. I just, I don't remember anything standing out in my mind to be like, oh, it's one or the other. Um, Yeah, and I think the reality is we get, we have people say like, oh, well, doesn't this company have marketing for X game? I think with most games, it's not, the marketing isn't exclusive. Right. My understanding the, is that yeah. rarely is marketing exclusive. With stuff like Battlefield, yes, Xbox did have the marketing rights for that. That leaned heavily into Xbox. But there are a lot of games where, you know, Elden Ring, for example, revealed on an Xbox stage. That doesn't mean, obviously, that didn't mean Xbox had any sort of marketing exclusivity. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't think that we can say right now that Sony has marketing rights for Alan Wake 2. All right, Sam. It's that time of the week. We got to talk about the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. The ongoing drama. And it's coming in waves for me, Sam. If I'm being honest mm-hmm. with you and I'm being honest with everyone here, um, I'm getting really conflicted on, on how I feel about talking about it. Some weeks, there'll be a great comment that comes out and I'll say, ooh, this is exciting. This is juicy. Yeah. We would never, ever get these comments under normal circumstances. We would never have Xbox come out and say they're in third place and, and PlayStation is obviously the market leader. Like That stuff doesn't exist normally. And then there are weeks where I go on Twitter and see people talking about it and, and think to myself, Man, I I am sick of hearing about the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. But that being said, it is the biggest story in the industry right now. Hands down. Hands down. And we are watching it unfold in real time. Like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, we whether you like it or not, you're going to see every little ugly detail of this entire thing. It's all going to be bared out for the world to see. We're watching mommy and daddy fight on, on a global scale. And we get to sit on the sidelines and, and kind of see this unfold. So this week, like the last several weeks, we've gotten some new comments. Uh, we've gotten some new updates from regu- regulatory bodies. And we're going to start with some comments from Take-Two, of all people. And the CEO of Take-Two, Strauss Zelnick, was on Yahoo Finance. And he was some, asked some questions about the Activision Blizzard King acquisition. And basically, whether or not he is concerned about how that will impact his company's business, and whether he is not, he is concerned that will have negative implications for the games industry at large. Zelnick mentioned that he sees plenty of opportunities for companies to compete in the space, and this is what he had to say: "Quote: Ultimately, the consumer votes, and if we create great hits, which is our business, then consumers will show up, and no one can take that away from us." The entertainment business is the antithesis of a fungible commoditized business. Wow. Every title stands alone. He's really appealing to the gamers with those lines. So it sort of doesn't compete with anything else, and yet it's highly competitive in a way. In other words, we compete with everything, and we compete with nothing. You can't replace one of our titles with another. So Microsoft has echoed similar statements, especially regarding Call of Duty, especially regarding the, you know, the negative implications of one title being exclusive to a platform. What do you think about the sentiment shared here by Strauss in terms of being able to compete no matter what you lose? As long as you create, you can compete. Do you think that's a fair statement from him? Perhaps a tad oversimplifying situations, but yes, um... So so I'm going to say a couple of things. I'm not trying to poke fun at him, just like a couple of contextual points that I do think are important to keep in mind before I then go and contradict myself. Um, One, of course, Strauss Zelnick is not going to say anything about massive acquisitions. In the two weeks, uh, in like a two-week period there, Take-Two Interactive had announced the biggest gaming acquisition of all time with the $12.7 billion acquisition of Zynga. So, you know, like... They're, they're not, not going he's he's not going to be the first one to go out there and scream about no big purchases are bad he's maybe got Number some t- big purchases on the side he doesn't want you yeah, screaming about remember they were the ones who wanted to buy codemasters before ea swooped in and undercut them and we're like hey we can raise the price a tiny bit and codemasters said bet 
And that's fair. That's business. That's capitalism. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, of course, he's not going to say anything about massive purchases. The other thing is, I do agree in principle, anyone can make anything. Anyone can have a big hit. That's fine. There's a little bit of difference between a tinier company, company, a smaller studio and the company making Grand Theft Auto and keeping Grand Theft Auto online. Grand Theft Auto online is perhaps the only gaming war machine that can accurately be compared to keeping Call of Duty chugging year after year. Annual game, annual game, more maps, more experiences, more modes. Like, it's about it's Rockstar Games and then Activision. It's basically the only thing I think is a fair comparison in terms of how many people you have working on just one franchise. So I think that's an important bit of context. Those two things said, yes, I agree. Yes, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what he's saying. Competition will drive innovation. It's going to, and, and Microsoft, and we'll talk about this in a minute. I have a feeling, unfortunately. Yes, yes. But he's correct. Microsoft is not going to be incentivized to remove something like Call of Duty because that leads to the rise of, oh, there's no Call of Duty here. It's easier for something to take its place. It's hard for something to take Call of Duty's place if Call of Duty is right there. But if something isn't there, you know, if Grand Theft Auto, for whatever reason, isn't on a platform, all of a sudden it becomes easy for something else to compete with Grand Theft Auto. So I broadly agree with those points he was making. I do as well. And again, he's in a very privileged position compared to a lot of other publishers and developers. Like you said, this is the publisher that has Grand Theft Auto under their banner. They are just swimming in capital because of that. And there were some outrageous and totally unsubstantiated rumors that a while back that PlayStation was trying to get exclusivity for the upcoming Grand Theft Auto. Mm -hmm. And imagine that scenario. Imagine if somebody swooped in and bought Take-Two and was talking about making Grand Theft Auto exclusive. We would be having the exact same Call of Duty conversations. Right. You'd have people coming out and saying, well, you can't compete with Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is a platform of its own. And then again, you look at the money that Grand Theft Auto makes and you think to yourself, why would I make this exclusive? Why would I even do that to myself? If I leave this multi-platform, I can just keep that, that money train rolling. And I think Strauss brings up some interesting points here. Like you said, I, I think a little oversimplified, but we've seen people create and we've seen new IPs explode and we've seen new IPs come out of nowhere and be this force to be reckoned with and compete with Call of Duty. Elden Ring, the latest example. Elden Ring came out and did Call of Duty numbers. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a new IP. That is a brand new IP and that is so rare. From software obviously built up a, a, a big legacy and there's a lot of marketing behind Elden Ring. But that being said, that was a new IP that came out and competed with Call of Duty. And so it can be done. It's not often, but it's not impossible. And I think that is the distinction that they're trying to make. And that's the distinction that I think the, the mm -hmm. CMA will probably try to, and other bodies will maybe potentially look at and, and try to discredit and say, okay, yeah, sure. It's not impossible, but how often does it happen and who is going to be allowed to? And then, you know, there are implications that we can potentially talk about that are interesting, but in this context here, obviously Strauss and his team, they want to buy more. It's acquisition time. Everyone is buying everyone. And so if you are in a position to have the capital to buy big other companies, you obviously aren't going to come out and say, this is bad. This is going to be bad for the industry because you have some stuff planned or you want to be in a position where 
you know, Microsoft is going to back you up because Strauss came out and said that we see Microsoft as allies. We're buddies. We're chill. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, when homie Strauss announces some ridiculous acquisition, he's going to look at Microsoft and say, I backed you up, dog. Where you at? Yeah. Mom. I said, we're al yeah. are we allies or are we not? Was it cool when you did it and not cool when I do it? And again, Microsoft's going to be in a position where they just spent 70 billion. So they have to be like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. And then 10 years from now, what, what does it look like? And so that'll, that's more interesting. And that's where some of the concerns I think are a little more legitimate, but right now, as the industry stands, this particular acquisition in my eyes, isn't going to completely destroy any hope of people competing. And I think that is the main sentiment that Strauss is sharing here and other, other bodies have shared as well, like Brazil. Um, this particular acquisition, Call of Duty being potentially exclusive, even if it goes exclusive, is not going to completely destroy a platform's ability to compete in the space. All right, let me make sure there's no super chats here. Okay, we're good. We're all caught up. Huge shout okay. out to the almost 200 people joining us live on this glorious Saturday. If you are digging the show, if you are digging these juicy comments from people like Strauss, hit that like button, share this out. We're going to talk about the CMA now. And the CMA is the big holdout. The CMA is the one everyone's riled up about because we've seen Saudi Arabia and we've seen Brazil come out and say, yo, it's cool. Do what you want to do, whatever. But CMA has not shared that same stance. CMA has come out and said, all right, based on what we've seen so far, we're, we're initiating phase two of our investigation. The CMA MCU phase two is going to take a further look at this investigation. And they've detailed some potential concerns they have here. So they've talked, it, they basically put out a statement that says, these are the areas that we are looking at when we are investigating this and its potential impacts on the video game industry. These are the main points we're looking at. And that is a platform losing Call of Duty, uh, a plat and, a and the other big one was Cloud gaming. I think those are the two main ones that they are really looking at because cloud gaming in particular, there's not a one-to-one -one competitor for Microsoft right now. So let's start with the highlights. All right. So first up, the CMA has suggested that Call of Duty is, quote, a required game for a specific platform. So to sum up a series of paragraphs, the body essentially says that Call of Duty is required, a required game, unless you're Nintendo. So what's your take on this philosophy? Is there any sort of regulation that would, that should dictate a game being required? Because imagine a world where somebody tells you, you own a, a studio and somebody tells you, you have to make a game for your competitor's platform. Right. What, is that even something that should exist? No, and I think this is going to fall apart pretty quickly because as part of just background for anyone who isn't keeping track of this stuff, as part of phase two, essentially what the CMA has done is they've published their reasoning for the decision they made a couple of weeks ago to go into phase two. They decided that weeks ago. Now they're saying why they did it. Part of that from October through, I think, March, March 1st, I think is the cutoff date, is going to be Microsoft and uh, the CMA and other third parties all going back and forth, battle royale, melee of lawyer arguments of why something should or shouldn't happen. So, And I think the CMA also brings in an independent panel 
to like view things separately from just you know their people okay so with that in mind this is a stretch miles <laughs> this, this this one is i i look at this and i look i look at this the same way i look at like my cat you know like ooh, big stretch just this i don't know chief it's there is something amusing and frankly a little ridiculous to me to go it's a requirement for a platform um there are three platforms one's nintendo unless you're nintendo <laughs> i i don't know about that one i don't think that's gonna hold up maybe maybe i'm living over an opposite world maybe and look it is true that microsoft and sony are closer than nintendo is of the three yes i'm not going to argue that they are the most different but come on, like, or, or no, th th this is not going to hold up for a variety of reasons. No, it's such a weird thing to say in this. Like, I'm not going to read the entire paragraphs, but you can sure. go on their social channels. You can go on the website and you can read these paragraphs. But reading through, it's hilarious because they are talking about how Call of Duty is required. And then they say and then they acknowledge that, OK, well, Call of Duty hasn't been on Nintendo platforms, but Nintendo and Xbox and PlayStation and Xbox compete directly, but Nintendo doesn't di compete directly because they are family oriented. They're family friendly. So that's their main focus. And Call of Duty is a graphic game. But then in the same paragraph, they talk about how Nintendo Switch has postal redux. Xbox doesn't have postal redux because apparently it's too graphic or apparently it did not meet the, 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 the content guidelines of Xbox. So there's a there's so many huge conflicts and they are addressing their own conflicts in this paragraph describing why they're concerned about it and it's so strange it's it's yeah. like they are doing research or being fed research and not really understanding how to piece it together into this argument and i've talked about this before and this isn't to downplay people i'm not a government official but it seems like this deal is untreaded unmarked territory for a regulatory body like the CMA. We've never had a deal of this size or scope and they're spent they're having to catch up on a lot of things simultaneously right. and I wonder if they're getting bits and pieces of information from folks that are obviously skewed towards obviously PlayStation doesn't want this deal to go through. Obviously, sure. you know, there are people who don't want this deal to go through and I wonder if that data is getting skewed and then they are using that as a concern. And again, I don't think it's unfair and I don't think it's unheard of. We all, a lot of people are like, oh, this deal is closing in August. No, Microsoft came out and said, this is probably closing in 2023. A lot of people knew this was going to get scrutiny. There was no way where this deal was just going to breeze through without mm -hmm. any sort of concern. And again, the CMA obviously has the most concerns right now, but we don't know how the FTC is going to feel. We don't know how the European right. Union is going to feel. We haven't gotten that information yet. So CMA is the first big one that has brought up criticisms and complaints and that is why we see a lot of the xbox fans in particular coming in and and dunking on this and there is yeah i think stuff that we can obviously point at and say well this is just kind of silly and i yeah. think that's a big one you're you're going to require call of duty to be on platforms where xbox has come out and said they would put call of duty on nintendo and you're going to come out and say call of duty is required unless you're nintendo even though xbox is saying, all right, yeah, we don't care. We're not really going to take away Call of Duty. We're actually going to try to bring Call of Duty to more places. I don't really like putting on a tinfoil hat, Miles, unless I'm with you. So here we go. Tinfoil hat now. time, baby. Let's go. 
it's very weird because it seems to me like the weakest argument. I put on my devil's advocate mansplaining robes and I try to get this deal <laughs> shut down. I'm working for Jim Ryan. I can make better arguments than this. Honestly. Focusing on Call of Duty is such a weird thing because it feels like it is going to be so easy for Microsoft to refute. They can point to Minecraft. They can point to Fallout 76. Elder Scrolls Online, which are still receiving content parry. They can talk about Minecraft Dungeons, Minecraft Legends. They can show clear examples of this stuff. This this is a weird one to me. I really don't understand making this argument. Um, and I feel like of the arguments the CMA has made, this one is going to get like torn down the easiest. Yeah, this one is going to be shut down instantly because there's really no basis for it. There's no grounds for it. And again, I, I'm of the, of the mindset that, you know, once... Microsoft has their counterpoints because they're going to have a lot of counterpoints. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that that clears up some of this confusion because yeah, yeah, like you said, if you are Jim Ryan, you are speaking to bodies like the CMA about what this means for your business, because that's, let's be real. That's the, that's his focus, how that impacts your business. Um, you don't want this deal to go through because it could potentially hurt your third party sales. And I talked about this last week on last week's episode, but people really downplay how much money platforms make off third-party content. <clears throat> it's safe to say that a lot of these platforms make most of their money of software sales on third-party content because there's way more third-party content. And as we've seen with a lot of these multi-platform third-party games, they typically sell more. Call of Duty sells more than any PlayStation exclusive, any Xbox exclusive by a huge margin. So they're making, they're making money on that. You talk about this not being a strong argument. You talk about this being one of their weakest arguments. One of the, what I think is one of their more compelling arguments and one that I think will get some more legitimate scrutiny lies in Xbox Game Pass and platforms being able to compete in the cloud right. streaming space. Right. This, uh, this is further complicated because Google Stadia just shut down. Google Stadia just announced they are closing their doors and Google Stadia shut down their development wing, their in-house exclusive development wing, pretty much right after Microsoft started throwing around money for publishers. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious to see how that factors in. Because if you have a body like Google telling you that they can't compete, which again, we've, we've talked about this previously, I think they could have competed if they had a better business model, blah, 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 blah. But I'm just saying, from a regulatory body standpoint and from a optic standpoint, if Google is feeling that they can't compete in cloud gaming, that's um, not a good sign for anyone else. And so one of the main concerns from the CMA is if Xbox decides ultimately that all of Activision is going to be exclusive and they're going to bring all of that exclusive content to a service like Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Cloud Streaming, that is going to impact anyone's ability to to offer a service that's as compelling and can, can compete on the same level. So do you think there's any truth to that sort of skepticism? I think there's a hair more. I still fall on the side that says, like, this is not going to be an issue, but I can, putting myself in the shoes of regulatory authority, I can understand where you might have more concerns here. If you're looking at the market and going, wait a minute, this is a very nascent technology, very new. It still isn't widespread. Um, I, what do you mean Google just shut down? 
what do you mean there's going to be one less player here? So it's just them, it's Amazon, Sony's kind of doing it. I think there are things Microsoft can point to, but I do see them pers- personally having a harder time with yeah. this uh, side of things. That last point we touched on, like we said, I th- will be just discredited immediately. There's no foundation mm-hmm. for it. But this one here, there will Microsoft is going to have to work a bit harder to prove that they aren't yeah. going to be a quote-unquote villain or a threat in the space in cloud gaming because... Is Amazon Luna really a competitor? If we're being if we're being real here, is it on the same level? Is it in the same conversations as Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Cloud Gaming? We have PlayStation now. PlayStation does technically have a streaming service, but is that on the same level? Are they going to use their own fa- again, we've seen Microsoft come out and use their own failings in terms of their position in the market to downplay this deal is PlayStation going to use their own failings with PlayStation now to say, we're trying, look at us. We're, we're the, we're the number one platform, but we can't compete in the space. So how mm-hmm. else is anyone else going to compete? Cause they can do that. That I think that's, you know, whether or not it can be downplayed or not. I think that's a fair statement to say if PlayStation is the market leader and they can't compete in the cloud gaming space, how the hell is anyone else supposed to? And those are the things that I think Microsoft is going to have to really work and say, okay, no, no, it's okay. We're cool. We're chill. We're going to keep you. We're going to keep some stuff multi-platform. Don't worry about call of duty. That's still going to be there. It's, it's all good. You know, we've mm-hmm. offered, we want, we want game pass on PlayStation. Right. We want game right. pass on Nintendo. And I think that's going to be the play where they say, you yes. know what? We They're have... saying, no, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, we like, tried. Yeah. We picked up the phone and we said, Hey, Jimbo, Hey buddy. Hey, pal, you want Starfield? Just put the, put the Game Pass app on PlayStation, buddy, and we're good. Mm-hmm. You won't lose any of this content. You won't have to worry about your players jumping ship to Xbox because you have Xbox Game Pass on your platform. Come on, bud. And so you know those conversations have happened, and you know if they have happened that Microsoft is going to be real quick to bring that up and say, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. Much like Netflix, we want our service on as many devices as possible, and we're not trying to make you buy any sort of device to experience the value and joy of Xbox Game Pass. Right. All right? PlayStation's the one. They're the ones saying, no, we're cool. We're chill as hell, dude. We're, we're so chill, bro. You don't even know. We're not trying to take anything from anyone. We're trying to bring gaming to more people around the world. And that's going to be their play. That's going to have to be their play because PlayStation is going to use their own failings to say, all right, well, we can't compete. And Google, if Google decides that they want to be, you know, anti-Xbox, which Xbox sided with someone else once upon a time that was, uh, you know, not in their camp. So Google has incentive to be like, all right, well, screw Xbox. All right. They, they were part of a, a competing lawsuit with us and they were on supporting the other side of our lawsuit so there is incentive for or i guess i should say there is no incentive for google not to get involved um so yeah it's going to be interesting and i think that is the more interesting point that the cma has brought up Mm -hmm. thus far i think that is the most compelling whether or not it's compelling enough to shut this deal down i don't really think so like i said if microsoft has good data can come out and say that they're willing to bring the service everywhere that it's not really about pulling people away from other services. It's about, you know, getting their service more places. I don't think you can look at that and say, well, that's anti-competitive. If you can just get Game Pass on PlayStation and play these games on PlayStation, I don't think that is anti-competitive in any way. So 
As we touched on, Sam, for better or worse, we are seeing all of this unfold in real time. We're getting all the juicy drama. What I want to know before we move on from this topic for this week, Lord help us. Lord, Lord knows what's going to happen next week. But for this week, before we move on, what are your overall thoughts on the likelihood of this deal closing? I still think it's likely to, ultimately. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to pretend to be there. People who understand legalities and things that are likely to happen way better than I do or ever will. But I just, I look at the playing field and I think, okay, the FTC, the FTC went into phase two a long time ago. They were one of the first, I think, if not the first, maybe Brazil was before them. But like, regardless, they've been doing this a long time. They haven't objected yet. And I've seen, by the way, I I need to correct them, like, thing I've seen going around. The FTC does not approve things. That's not how it works. The FTC simply decides not to block something. That's that, how, yes, that, yes. I, I keep, people keep saying, waiting on the FTC's approval. Like, that's not going to happen. They're just not going to object to it if they are for it. They might put out a statement if there's a concession, but I think that's a little, or a, a consent decree is I think what it's called, but that, that's a little different. The European Commission will approve. Big, uh, And I think the CMA will as well, or block, so... Sorry, it's, that's a small thing that's been bugging me last few weeks, so I had to put that out there. This is America, talk. baby. It's either it, it's free reign capitalism until the FTC says no. Right. Um, you, but So anyways, like going around my elbow to get to my thumb here, I just look at how they haven't objected yet. European Commission supposedly saw something like it doesn't reportedly have any issues right now. There's nothing that's been stated. I think if it's only the CMA and... That's just where Microsoft has to harness their fighting and they can show the document from Brazil and say, hey, look, another big regulator said all this. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? It's your job to protect competition, not the top, you know, competitor in the market right Uh now, et cetera, et cetera. I just think there's too many things going for them than against them, ultimately. That is, if, if you bet, if you ask me to bet on the towing costs, that's where my money would go. Yes, again, most of the points that we've seen so far, I can guarantee Microsoft will have solid legal counters to. And I think if you are a regulatory body, it's going to be pretty impossible for you to ignore some of these realities of the games industry. And I, I do see a world where maybe CMA is the biggest holdout. And that, yeah. that makes me a little concerned. I think overall, the likelihood of this deal going through is very high. Um, again, we've, we've touched on a lot of the, the big points that the CMA is using, and we've touched on the ways that Microsoft can easily counter those points. And again, if you are in that position as a regulatory official, you should be able to see that this isn't going to damage competition immediately. And that is ultimately the goal. We can talk about the hypotheticals for what this means down the road. If more acquisitions happen, if more and more things, you know, start to unfold. And in a lot of cases, it is kind of a a chain reaction, as we've seen a lot of people invest in the industry. But when you look at the deal isolated, which is their objective, their objective is to look at this deal as an isolated moment and how that this deal will impact the industry. Not how a bunch of potential deals down the road could impact the industry. That's not really what this is about. It's about how this deal will impact competition and the industry. So if the CMA is a holdout, if the CMA says no, I don't, I don't think the deal goes through. 
Because do you think Microsoft is just going to be like, all right, well, I guess we won't do business in the UK. You think right, that's... where Playground and Ninja Theory and Rare are located. You yeah, think that's I, really, I... they're just like, all right, sorry, UK, guess what? No. They're not playing the, the, ball. The honest likelihood, though, is that you have to remember that just saying flat out no and blocking something is the nuclear button. In yes. all likelihood, yes. if the CMA proves to be stubborn, they're going to hash out some agreement that makes regulatory bodies happy. Like, oh, I don't know. I'm pull I'm literally pulling things out of thin air here. Uh, I haven't thought about this in depth, but like we won't raise Game Pass prices in the UK for five years. The UK gets special protection. We'll protect competition. We're not going to gouge prices just because we have Call of Duty. Something, something like that, I can see. Or even, oh, hey, Sony that three-year agreement we offered you, even though you know darn good and well that we would offer another one when this three years are up and you know you're just playing the system here, how about a six-year deal? Is that yeah. Does that look a little better? A seven-year deal? Does this look nicer to you, everybody? Something like that, if there is an issue, is the most likely scenario. Uh, I, yeah, I think really PlayStation maybe isn't... I mean, obviously PlayStation wouldn't want the deal to go through in any capacity, but really I think... This is more about trying to get some concessions in place. And mm -hmm. I think the CMA might be the market that's going to favor those concessions or has the potential right. to favor it. It could go through without any restrictions. That's still a possibility. Sure. Um, but there might be, as you said, some, some ifs and buts about this acquisition in the UK. But I don't see anyone just straight up blocking this deal. Because as you said, that's going, to be, that's going to be conflict. That's going to be huge conflict. Especially when everyone, if everyone else approves it and you're the holdout, that's just going to be a, a nightmare. And Microsoft's going to appeal it. It's going to be this long, lengthy legal battle to get it to go through. Do you and, really want to be fighting this while Meta is just being an awful company and fighting everybody on the planet right now? Like, there's other factors that go into this as yeah. well. So that's where we stand on that. And I'm excited to move on from that topic for now. Um, I'm going to get to some super chats here. We got Bob Loppel who says, as Sony kept games off Game Pass, they also kept games off Stadia. So Sony helped shut down Stadia. We just need the dream team. We need PlayStation and Stadia to join forces and make Play Stadia. That's awful. <laughs> that, 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 that was awful. <laughs> Come on, now that's marketing gold, baby. Let's do it. Uh, Sergeant Rake, who's been a channel member for 13 months, says, Hey dudes, when do you think NetherRealm reveals Mortal Kombat 12 at the Game Awards, perhaps? Hope you're both well. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think they came out very recently and made it sound like that's not in the near future. <laughs> the, the, well, yeah, so this... I think Ed Boon specifically said, Hey, we love y'all. We're not announcing anything for our anniversary. Yeah. Um, Maybe the Game Awards, because in a couple of months, that was a few days ago, I think, was the 25th anniversary of Mortal Kombat, right? A few days ago, something like that. A lot of gaming anniversaries last yeah. couple of weeks, off topic. Just Forza Horizon, Dishonored, Turn 10, I think Fallout Turn 20, or, you know, like, yeah, a lot, a lot of anniversaries, that's cool. Um, Game Awards is possible, I think it's more likely that it's sometime early next year, though. I'm, I'm not going to rule the Game Awards out, but I think, like, one of the showcases next year is more likely yeah the game awards is usually where people expect the bigger bill or not bill but jeff has established that usually there's one or two really big things there and so that's why you you and you anticipate and you speculate we might see a mortal Kombat 12 type reveal there and and 11 was revealed there to yeah. be fair so that is 
it's possible. It is possible. I honestly just haven't heard anything about when we might see Mortal Kombat 12. But it's been several years since 11, so we're getting, we have to be getting close, right? Unless they're doing something like an Injustice first or something else, but... So, so briefly, like, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but briefly, to, to this person's point, it is interesting because NetherRealm used to operate on a tight schedule. Super I... tight. Every other year, it was the new game, and they alternated. It was Mortal Kombat Injustice. Mortal Kombat Injustice. Because in 2017, you had Injustice 2. 20, back in 2015, you had uh, Mortal Kombat 10. And then obviously now in 2019, you had Mortal Kombat 11. And then obviously the pandemic happened. That threw things off. But the thing is, I don't think it threw things off by this much. I don't think it threw things off to the point that three years later, we should still be waiting to see, oh, what is the next game? Just announce yeah. it. So I think, I don't know. There's some interesting things going on there. All right. Who wants to talk about some video games? Finally. I'm excited. We, we can <laughs> talk about a lot of video games this week because it's been a very busy week for embargoes, for reviews. You and I have both been hard at work behind the scenes, checking some stuff out. So we're going to be talking about a series of games coming up. We're going to be talking about four games in particular. So get your questions ready. Want to make this pretty right. interactive. Uh, we're going to make it more of a Q&A, so as we get to the segments, I'm going to ask you questions about Dead Space Remake, for example. I'm going to let you ask me questions about Scorn, since you haven't a chance to play that. So we're going to be talking about the Dead Space Remake. We're going to be talking about Scorn's divisive reviews. We're going to be talking about Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. And we're going to be talking about Dragon Ball The Breakers. So if you haven't played these and you have any burning questions, get those ready. Because we're going to open it up to you for each of these segments and let you ask questions um, I've played some stuff. Sam's played some stuff. Let's start with the Dead Space remake. Because Rand and I, last week, we were talking about this. We were talking about how we're excited to see what this project is. We're excited to see it unfold. We're excited to see how they translate the iconic gameplay of the original with this mm -hmm. remake. And you've got to play the first, you've got to play roughly four hours and the first right. three chapters of this game. I got to see about 30 minutes of gameplay from your session, edit a video, so I got to watch some of the gameplay myself. But I want to know how you felt playing the first four hours of Dead Space because I know you're a big fan of the original. How did this stack up to the original? And in what ways is this improved over the original? I was very cautiously optimistic before this. Uh, before I got my hands-on time, and this was actually a couple of weeks ago, this preview. So I've, this has been kind of been simmering for a while now, actually. This, this one did not just happen. Um, I was cautiously optimistic, Miles. Uh, obviously, we've both seen, like, the different Vidocs, you know, the, the video documentaries that Motive has been putting out about, like, oh, here's how we're reworking audio. We want your feedback. Or, oh, here's how we're reworking visual elements. We want your feedback. And I think that was the right choice. I think that was a very good choice. They even talked about how they had like a community council come in of like yeah. Dead Space super fans. They got a few of them to talk about the early process of the remake and ping pong some questions off of them. So that's great stuff. But I still was a little concerned. I still was a little like, okay, but ultimately, is this a cash grab? Or ultimately, is this is this just a, oh, remakes are trendy thing? Because remakes are trendy. They, they sure are They're trendy. They're hot right, right now, now, baby. Let's go. Hot. This is the time. This is the time. If you've got a remake, let's go. After playing almost four hours of the game, after playing the first three chapters of this remake, I am no longer concerned. I am no longer worried. This is a passion project. This is not happening because EA saw a big horror game out there 
a big remake and said, oh, we got to get some of that. This is happening because Motive is passionate about Dead Space and they really want to see this franchise come back. That is the thing that's shown through. They're not just cashing in. It's faithful, but they are changing things. I, I was explaining to a couple of people actually um, before now that the way I would imagine, because remake is a broad term, right? Everything is called a remake, but like, what is it really? You got Resident Evil 2, but then you've got The Last of Us Part 1. Like, what are we doing here? If you put Resident Evil 2 remake in one corner, and I think you put The Last of Us Part 1 in the other, this is exactly in the middle. Exactly. It's very faithful. There's areas that are completely one-to-one, -one, complete with the same jump scare, but then they do something new. But then they throw something new at you. But then they give you a new challenge. But then they change some things up. Isaac talks now. They got Gunnar Wright, who was the performance actor for Isaac Clark in Dead Space 2 and 3. He's come back. He's recorded new lines. They talked about how this was one of the first things that they discussed at the studio with the community council. It's like, okay, we really want to do this, but we're going to be very careful. Because the original game is a very lonely game. It's a very... I'm not going to say quiet because you are always hearing something awful or like machinery in the Ishimura. So quiet isn't the right word. It's a very lonely game. Yes. Is I think the better way to put it. And that is still here. That's not taken away because Isaac talks. Now it just feels like Isaac is actually a character rather than a player avatar. Now, instead of Isaac being told, hey, hey, senior engineer there with dual degrees, uh, I'm the military meathead and I'm going to go tell you what to do. Now, military meathead is going to give him a problem. And Isaac says, OK, there's a barricade, but I think we can put together something that'll uh, blast it apart. I just need to find some thermite and a shock pad. That's in character. Now, Isaac just like in Dead Space 2, so I love this, he doesn't just find a fully functional plasma cutter. He puts it together when he first finds that station, complete with, you know, the iconic cut off your limbs. That's a great yeah. moment early in the game. He now puts it together and makes it function. And yeah, there's just so many examples like that. Um, it, it really, it feels like an almost impossible threading the needle, Miles. It really does in terms of, we're keeping it faithful and we're appealing to the older fans, but we've made this very accessible for new people to get into. We've advanced it in the right ways. And that was really exciting to hear when we were talking about it behind the scenes, because obviously I was asking you a bunch of questions. Obviously, I'm a big Dead Space fan as well. Love the original, love Dead Space 2. And so hearing you talk about how this lies somewhere between The Last of Us Part 1 and Resident Evil 2, which one of the things I loved the most about Resident Evil 2 was the way that it reimagined this game and it wasn't necessarily a one-to-one -one. it was a it was as i imagined it as a kid basically they were able to take my, my the gaps that i filled in from the original and bring those to life in a new way and they were able to streamline the experience streamline the gameplay and make it better than the original and going into resident evil 2 remake resident evil 2 was one of my favorite games of all time and so for them to improve upon one of my favorite games of all time, uh, that is a tough thing. That is a tough balance. Like you said, that is a tough needle to thread. That is a really impossible balance in a lot of ways. And so it is really interesting to see this team take the fundamentals, take key moments that you're familiar with, take key moments that you've seen, but still give you something new. Because again, a great part of horror is giving you something unexpected. And if you expect right. and you know all of the beats, you know all of the sequences, it's hard to deliver an effective scare. So I have to say, based on what you've played, or I have to ask based on what you played, were they able to get you? Were they able to get you with any new scares? There were a few. 
There were a few. They didn't get me with all of them. There was a few that I was like, like I said, one to one. It's like, aha, I, I, you're still uh, around that corner. OK, I get it. But also there's a couple of new things. And the team has actually developed something very interesting for this called the Intensity Director. Part of this game, by the way, is that there are side missions. I talk about this more in my preview and the interview I did and the preview video I did. So there's three different <laughs> things. You, if you haven't seen, you can go look at that. Miles and I spent a ton of time working on those. But because the Ishimura is now fully explorable, because there's no loading screens, there are side missions that further flesh out the ship, where you can go off the beaten path and, ooh, go find some new weapon parts. Because now, if you want to keep on finding new nodes, you know, the, the, the old uh, workbench and you got the power nodes to upgrade your weapons, that system is still there. But to unlock the next batch of nodes, you need to find a weapon component. So it's a little added wrinkle in the layer there. And uh, some of those are behind side missions. And if you go off the beaten path, the team has something called the Intensity Director. The Intensity Director is an AI that decides, based on how you play, how it's going to screw with you <laughs> and how it's going to try and scare you. There might be a room, for example, where, oh, okay, so you've always been choosing to keep the lights on when you uh, are rerouting power. Because there's areas, that's another new thing now, where like, oh, you might have to choose between do you want oxygen enabled in a room or the lights are on. And you got to pick because you can only power one of those two. You know, keeps things fresh. The intensity director might see that and go, you're always choosing to keep the lights on, huh? We're turning them off in this room <laughs> because you've gone off the beaten path. Or, oh, it's been X minutes since you've seen a necromorph. Yeah, we're going to just spawn a random one. Which one did you have the most trouble with? Oh, that one? That's the one that's spawning. And so it's just little wrinkles there. Or it might play random sound effects that are in character with the part of the ship you're in to keep things a little fresh, keep things a little interesting. And uh, so, yes, long-winded way of saying, didn't get me every time, but it got me a couple of times. It's very important to have those dynamics, and hearing about that particular engine is exciting. That was one thing that we all loved about the original Left 4 Dead, was that engine that used an AI to determine, based on how you played or based on the flow of things, how they could screw with you, how they could slow things down, how they could give you a hard time. And so, with this being explorable, you can fully explore the Ishimura now, um, it is nice knowing that when you do the side quest, it's not going to be, oh, well, I've already cleared out this hallway, so there's not going to be anything here. So it is, it's exciting to know that every time you go down a path, no matter how many times you've gone down this path, there is a potential for something to get right. you. You're always, because that was what was beautiful about the original Dead Space. You never felt safe. You never felt comfortable. Never. Nothing Never. died. You couldn't make sure anything was dead. You weren't sure where things were going to pop out because they're bursting out of the ceiling. They're bursting out of vents and you were just always on edge. And so hearing that they've really leaned into that, that has me excited. That has me really, really excited. Any other big things you want to point out? And again, if you haven't, <clears throat> excuse me, checked out, we have a bunch of coverage. We have the video on the Windows Central Gaming channel. Sam did an interview and Sam did a written preview as well. So there is a lot of stuff. If you want to dive in and see what Sam's been working on there, definitely check that out. But anything else you want to highlight about your time with the Dead Space remake? I mean, you know, there's different <laughs> other things like I could point to how, oh, you can fly now. You know, the Dead Space 2 flying. Oh, hallelujah. In, in, yeah, no, the, the, the mag jumps, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that again. Like it's people say that the original dead space is still perfectly playable. And like, they're not wrong, but I think some people have rose tinted glasses when it comes to those sections, those sections are rough. It's, it's not great. Um, so that's going to change how you approach the puzzles and even certain boss fights. So that's interesting. 
Um, obvious disclaimer, of course, is that I only played the first three chapters. Things really it just if you play Dead Space, you know, things ratchet up, things ramp up in the later sections and it gets buck wild. Obviously, I'm interested in seeing those sections, seeing certain bosses, uh, other areas and how that would work. But ultimately, the best way I can possibly say it is, Miles, for the first time. Since, you know, we got the bad news that, oh, Dead Space 4, there's no plans for that. For the first time since that, years ago, I feel happy about Dead Space again. That warms my heart, level. because, yeah, Dead Space, very important franchise to me and a lot of horror fans. It was a very important game for its time. It really helped reinvigorate horror as a genre. And obviously right now, horror has a resurgence. Horror's doing well. People are willing to spend the money. Um, so that was kind of my, that was my concern is that like, I, again, I don't want to use cash grab because that's unfair to a lot of the people who work on the game, but I was mad at EA that they were only willing to invest in dead space after a bunch of other people came out, took risks and made money on horror. That was what really upset me. And that's why when they first announced dead space remake, I was like, come on, if, if Capcom wasn't killing it right now, you wouldn't care about this franchise at all. And so that's where I was at. But the things that you've described and the things that I've seen show that the team working on this project gets Dead Space and they love Dead Space. And that has me, you know, excited and hopeful for the future of Dead Space for the first time in a long time. Oh, one other side thing, because I know this is going to be a question that's on people's minds. Um, well, two small things. One, I asked, are they going to do more after that? That's the only time the PR person looked up in the entire interview. So, of course, they couldn't answer that. But they said they'll see what the future holds. So it sounds like, who knows? Maybe we do get a Dead Space 2 remake. Maybe. Potentially in the future. We'll see how that goes. We'll Dead see how that goes. Dead Space 2. The perfectly paced game. The perfectly yes. paced horror yes. game. Game of the generation contender, in my opinion, for its for its time mm. um okay other quick little thing here because i know some people have been asking about this uh there are no new necromorphs they said they talked about it but that they wanted to like respect the original intent of oh this is the balance of the game we'll, we'll enhance their behavior we'll enhance their ai we'll have you know the, the new peeling system i've talked about that in the preview the one exception is the spitter because the spitter wasn't really an official necromorph in the original dead space it was more like oh very occasionally a slasher will just shoot a spit of acid at you but like in dead space 2 i'm sure you're you remember miles the spitter became its own specialized enemy with yes. different advantages disadvantages they did do that the spitter from dead space 2 is now in uh the original dead space okay. occupying like a solid role instead of being a weird side thing but mm -hmm. other than that no new necromorphs okay rad well beautiful i'm stoked and um, we're gonna have callisto protocol and now dead space remake back to back yeah. Because we have yeah. Callisto Protocol in December and now Dead Space Remake in January. So and Resident Evil 4 Remake in March. Remember. Ooh, and then Texas Chainsaw months. Massacre and Killer Clowns from Outer Space are all targeting early 2023 as well. So horror fans, strap in, prepare those wallets. Um, we know Texas Chainsaw Massacre is at least coming to Game Pass. Um, yep. Maybe we can sprinkle a few more in there. Uh, save us all a little bit of money. <laughs> Stoked to hear good things unanimously. I haven't seen a single negative preview on Dead Space Remake, which is exciting, which, which is very exciting as someone who yeah. was a little skeptical, a little sure. concerned. Sure. All right, let's talk about Scorn. 
because Scorn has been a highly anticipated Xbox console exclusive for some time. It was originally going to launch alongside the Xbox Series X and S, and it was originally announced in 2016. So this has been a game a long time in the making. Um, it, it got pushed up a week, so it launched this past Friday, and I handled our review over on Windows Central for Scorn. So when I was playing Scorn, I figured it would be divisive. My initial impressions were amazing atmosphere, incredible soundtrack, top-notch visuals, one of the coolest and weirdest and most unsettling worlds in a video game I've ever experienced. Absolutely loved the atmosphere of the game. The pacing, especially early on, in my opinion, was a bit of a slog. It felt really, really, really slow. And I get, I understand that's the, the vibe of the game. It is a very exploration-driven, a very puzzle-driven game. There are first-person shooter moments, but the game is certainly not a first-person shooter. It is, I've seen people compare it to like body horror mist, and I think that's a really good way to describe it. It is mostly about exploring this weird world. You have no idea what's going on and solving puzzles to progress. Um, but as we've seen, the reviews for this are very divisive. I've seen outlets like GamesRadar give this a 1 out of 5. We gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I've seen other people give it 8s and 9s. It's sitting at about a 72-ish average on Metacritic, so it's, it's got a solid average. I would say 70s is a good, good game across the board, but a lot of people do have fundamental problems with it. Sure. Um, before I open it up to you, if you have any questions about Scorn, and before I open it up to the chat, one thing I will say is that the climax of this game really elevated the overall experience for me. There were moments where I was not having fun with Scorn. And Scorn, it's one of those games where I don't think the point is to have fun. Like, it's very mm -hmm. gameplay light. And the gameplay segments, like the puzzles and the shooting, I thought were tedious a lot. They were repetitive. They were a little frustrating at times. The combat in particular, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's one encounter where I was just, I wanted so badly for it to be over. So badly. It took so long. It was, I'm not exaggerating when I say I was like in this fight for 20 minutes. And I was just, just waiting, pleading for it to be over. Jeez. And the climax really elevated this for me because it poses a lot of bold questions and kind of primal questions we all have about our purpose in life, you know, what we sacrifice for our, our work, what we sacrifice for our religion, you know, are we just designed to basically breed and repeat this cycle and are people disposable in the sense of we have this society, we have this system in place, you need to sacrifice yourself to keep that going. There are some cool points, even though there is no narrative, there is no dialogue, there is no text whatsoever. And the, the narrative is entirely displayed through environmental structures and, and context clues. Um, I found the climax of this game to be so off the walls, bananas, batshit crazy that it just made up for the rest of the game for me. So that it's only about six or seven hours. And getting to the end is, is an absolute visual feast. The last act of that game is so unbelievably wild and weird and satisfying that it kind of made up for a lot of the stuff that I was found frustrating because I'll be honest, if this game did not have a good payoff, my review would have been dramatically harsher because mm. 
They make you work to get that ending. They make you work to get that climax. And there are moments of that game that are just not fun. The puzzle design sometimes is really clever, really great. The combat is fine, is passable in some areas. But once you start doing the same puzzles over and over again, once you start fighting the same three enemies over and over again, you just wish there wasn't even gameplay. Like, I would have been fine Mm -hmm. if there wasn't any combat at all. Like, that's how I felt after playing it. I know people hate the walking sim genre, um, but I I didn't really find it that... I didn't find that it added to the overall experience with Scorn. So I understand, and I knew that people were going to play the first hour, if that, and say, I'm, I don't like this. This is not for me. I don't want to see this through. And that's going to be a huge barrier for a lot of folks is powering through the first 50% of the game because the first 50% of the game is so slow, so painfully slow. But if you are a horror fan and you want something weird, if you enjoy heady stuff like uh, Annihilation or Prometheus or those types of sci-fi stories that present these big questions about our creation and existence, um, you will get a good payoff. You will get something really cool at the end. But just know that it's not a game for everyone. Not a game for everyone at all. And I think that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's where I sit with Scorn. I liked it. I gave it, gave it a 7. gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I enjoyed it. thought the ending was great. thought the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And there are moments where you're staring at these vistas with cosmic fog and, and giant structures in the distance. And I just thought to myself... This is the most beautiful scene I've seen in a video game. So there are moments where the visuals are just that compelling and that intoxicating. But um, the gameplay is really where Scorn falters. And that's really going to be, much like the medium, I think, where people don't like it. Mm -hmm. So listening to you say that is fascinating. Taking all that in, here's, I think, the single biggest question I would have is, what would would you say to me personally? one of two questions that I should push through and play it. Cause I have not started it yet. I, I watched a friend uh, stream like the first 20 minutes, like the first 30 minutes of the game, the very opening section, Thought it looked very visually interesting. Gameplay was obviously extremely sparse. There wasn't even any combat in the section. I, uh, section I saw. And from what you're saying, that might be a good thing that there, you know, the, the less combat, the better. Would you say this is something that would appeal to me? I think as someone who enjoys horror and sci-fi in particular, I think this is something you specifically would appreciate okay. in terms of the ending. Um, that being said, if you don't like... This is going to be a really odd comparison. Okay. But Let's did you it. ever play the old adventure games like Out of This World? I or, know what you're talking about. Or Heart of Darkness. Or yes, yeah, even yeah, a- I know what you're talking about. Abe's Odyssey, even, I guess, is more like a... Over- mm-hmm. It's that where you you wake up in a world, you have no idea what's going Mm -hmm. on. There's no narrative really to push you along and you just have to uncover that. You have to discover that. So a lot of the the fun and the enjoyment I got was from trying to piece together what's happening. What's my purpose? Where am I going? Why am I here? Like that to me, like I like that. Those, those Those ideas and those systems are compelling to me as a player. I like to fill in the blanks for the story. I like to fill in the gaps. But if you want someone to tell you the story, you will not get that. Even the ending. The ending does not tell you 
anything explicitly. You get no grand satisfying, this is what happened. This is why you're here. That does not exist. So that is going to be a turnoff for a lot of people is there is okay. no, no dialogue, no narrator at the end that says, and this is why you were in scorn. There, that is not here for you. And so for some people who want the heavy narrative, that's going to be a, that's going to be a big divisive point, I think. But if you just want a weird ass game that makes you think about a lot of things, makes you feel a lot of things while playing. Um, yeah. I think you in particular would enjoy it. And it's only six hours if you, right. If you're decent at puzzle games. And uh, so based on everything you're saying, it sounds like this was the perfect choice for a game pass game then in terms of something that people might not feel comfortable immediately spending money on, but, Oh, I can try this out and see what I feel like. Yeah. I'm excited for more people to be able to check this out. Cause I think there were a lot of people who are going to play this via game pass as the vessel mm -hmm. who never would have, who looked at the weird visuals looked at the mm -hmm. world and said, eh, I'm not a big horror fan or that's not for me. I will say it's not really conventional horror. This game isn't that scary. So if you're someone mm -hmm. who's like turned off by games because they are scary, this was never really scary. And if you're a hardcore horror fan, that's probably going to be a problem for you too. Cause it's okay. It's slow. It's weird. It's not really scary. It's just weird. It's just weird. Unsettling. Gro there's gross stuff. There's stuff that's horrifyingly disgusting. There are moments where you do really repulsive, disgusting things and you get this satisfying, juicy pulp, but mm. um, it's not scary, really. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's how I feel about Scorn. It's um I'm excited for more people to finish it so I can we can talk about the ending. Cause I think that's really gonna be where the most interesting pieces of scorn come from is people describing their experience and describing their theories about what this world is. That's the kind of stuff that I nerd out on is the, uh, after you watch a movie that has a wild twist or a wild ending right, right. is sitting down and like, all right, well, what does that mean, man, bro? What does that even mean? All right, next up two more games. We're gonna be talking about real quick. Cause it's asymmetrical horror season, baby. For whatever reason, everybody in the world is like, you know what? Friday the 13th was cool. Let's do that. First up, we have Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed from Ilphonic. The team actually involved, one of the teams involved with creating Friday the 13th and essentially creating the asymmetrical horror, horror multiplayer genre have taken up the reins to do a 4v1 ghost busting game. I also handled the review for that for Windows Central. Shout out to everybody in the world deciding that this Friday was embargo day because we had mm -hmm. Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed, we had Scorn, and we had Dead Space all lifting their embargoes on the same day. So your boy was playing a lot of horror, absorbing a lot of horror this week and Ghostbusters Spirits Unleashed. And not out yet like Scorn, so you can't play this one yet, but <clears throat> oh, Sam, it's such a joy. It's such an absolute delight. It's one of those games where... It, it just had me smiling because of how fun, how natural the gameplay felt, how beautiful the world was. They got Dan Aykroyd. They got Ernie Hudson. If you're a fan of Ghostbusters, they let you know from the jump that they are huge fans of Ghostbusters as well. There's a silly narrative that plays out. There's like a mini campaign that almost plays out like a, a mini Ghostbusters movie. You get to create your own Ghostbuster, which I think is the, the, one of the coolest things about it is you get to inject yourself into this world. And so you get to sit there. It's got a pretty robust character customization. You get to customize your Buster. Um, it puts your gamer tag on your name badge. 
Oh, that's awesome. So when you that's jump awesome. into a match with other players, you see their gamer tag on their name badge. There's so many little details that really help you immerse yourself in. Uh, and the core loop is four Ghostbusters go into a haunted place of business. They try to vanquish the ghoul that's there. They try to, as you've seen in the movies, they try to use their proton packs and particle throwers to grab the ghost, throw it in a trap, and save the people who are being tormented by this ghost. It's a combination of Dead by Daylight, Prop Hunt, and um, Phasmophobia. So you have your ghost-busting tools. You get your PKE meter that you use to find the ghost. If you're playing as the ghost, oh my god. I don't think I've laughed this hard in a while, but you can possess pretty much anything. You can possess a bucket. You can possess a a fake starfish. You can possess, um, if you're in the museum, you can possess the giant whales or the raptors that are on display. But one of my favorite things you can possess, there's a ship level, and there's these big giant teddy bears that are in sailor suits. And you, everything you possess has a unique animation. So when you possess oh, the teddy awesome. bear, you're just this big, bumbling, floppy teddy bear. And so I was playing against my friends. I went into the bear. They're, all, they're desperately trying to find where I am. And they turn the corner and they just see this bear barreling down the hall at them. And we were all just cry laughing because of how dumb and silly the moment was. And that's pretty much the best way I can describe that game is it's silly, it's dumb, and it's so much fun if you have a group of people to play with. You can play it single player. I wouldn't really recommend it as the primary way. But if you are a Ghostbuster fan, this is everything feels exactly how you want it to feel. Catching ghosts upgrading your gear getting your proton pack it's just ah it's just it's just one of those times where a franchise and the gameplay translate perfectly into the gameplay experience in a way that just feels like when you think of like i want a ghostbusters game this feels like that no matter what no matter what that is to you when you say i want a ghostbusters game this is that Mm -hmm. and i think that is really really important and uh, so good so excited um, that one's 40 bucks and it is not launching an Xbox Game Pass. So I'm curious okay. to see what that's like. Is there cross play across platforms? There is only uh, you have to link your uh, Epic Games account. You can okay. play with anybody on any platform as long as you have linked your Epic Games account. Okay. So that's okay. the caveat. So you can so play kind of like Fall Guys or Rocket League. Ex- exactly. Yes. Okay. Cool. I mean, what you're describing sounds awesome. And honestly, what a win for Elphonic, considering that, like, Friday the 13th infamously had some launch issues. They couldn't even support it because there was some weird legality stuff there. That game's kind of seeing a comeback now. I see more people talk about it now than yeah. I, did, I think when it first came out, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then, obviously, Elphonic also did Predator Hunting Grounds with Sony, and that wasn't great. I, uh, I reviewed that, and that, that I, wasn't I it. did not like it. No, I, I love Predator. But man, I did not care for that game. No, that wasn't it. So, so to hear you say that this is a delight to play, that's awesome. That's music to my ears. I'm not the biggest Ghostbusters fan. You know, it's like Ghostbusters fans are, are interesting because I think you've got like Greg Miller, hardcore Ghostbusters fans, casual Ghostbusters fans, and then people who don't care at all. So I'm like a casual fan. It's like, it's fun. I like it. It's fine. Uh, but hearing you say that definitely makes me want to pick it up. That makes me want to play it. 
are there different varieties of ghost for you to use that have advantages and disadvantages or is all the variety playing as the ghost come from like the different objects that you can possess? Yes. So when you're playing as the Ghostbuster, you get to customize your loadout. So you have different gadgets, you have different tools. You can use a grappling mm. hook if you want. You can use like a radar that'll ping the ghost. You really get to customize that. When you play as the ghost, same deal. There are five different base archetypes, like five different fundamental archetypes that have different special abilities. And then each one has four different subtypes that have different looks and different okay. abilities as well. So awesome. there's a bunch of different ghosts. You can be Slimer, awesome. obviously. One of the of course. The, the final tiers you unlock for the ep ectoplasmic one is, is Slimer. So you can be Slimer. Um, another thing I love, if you have seen the Ghostbusters movies, the effects for the ghosts, very classic, very 80s, cheesy, superimposed on the screen. They kind of have a weird stutter. They have a weird frame rate thing. Good. good. They, they replicated that in the game. So when you see a ghost moving around, it looks just like it does in the, the, the movies, where the frame rate's weird. They kind of stutter in a weird way. And it's such a nice touch. It's such a great little subtle touch um, that, that I really loved. But yeah, I think there's one if... Math might be wrong, but I think there's 20 different technically, 20 different ghosts you can be. Awesome. I mean, that's that's all I wanted to know. I think you've hit the major points. That is that is a delightful surprise. Yes, I was this. really, I, again, I, I love asymmetrical stuff, generally speaking, but I wasn't really sure what to expect because like you touch on, Ilphonic has done some great stuff, but Predator Hunting Ground, I think was a miss for them. I wasn't the biggest fan of that. But this one, uh, if you have if you have some friends, and that's the biggest thing, you can play with the AI, but the AI is so bad, so mm. unbelievably bad. When you're playing against the ghost, you will absolutely destroy the ghost. When you're playing as the ghost, you will absolutely destroy the humans. So it's it's not that fun to play against the AI. That's that's my biggest criticism is that. Oh, I, I have two. It's not fun to play against the AI, and there's very limited content. There's five maps, five maps, and you can beat the campaign if you will in probably like three three hours so a lot of the replayability and fun is going to be up to you and your friend group or and matchmaking and matchmaking hasn't really been a thing there's been people in the review period um so we have gotten into some matches but i'll be really excited for the game to be out so i can matchmake more consistently and not have to deal with the terrible ai damn is there anything have you been playing anything else outside of dead space Recently. Nothing that I can talk about publicly. Oh, uh, you little tease. Well, sorry, you little I ain't doing tease. it, but it, you, when you ask, I'm not going to volunteer. Look at me. I got an that. embargo. I'm so freaking cool. <laughs> it's, dude, it's embargo season. Let's be real here, though. It's it's embargo season. Like, if you're if you're in the gaming, you know, journalism side of things, the gaming, you know, content creator side of things right now, you are working on something embargoed at some point. Like, that's just, that's how it is. There's so the, much stuff going the on. The next few weeks alone have, like, 20 games coming out. A lot of them it's are ridiculous. big. So it's, it's ridiculous, man. Well, um, yes, I, I do know what you're working on, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, excited. I can say this. Um, I haven't played it yet. I did just get a beta code for the uh, preview this weekend of Warhammer 40,000 Darktide. That's not under embargo. Oh, yeah, It's a closed beta, but that is open. People can share stuff about that. So uh, I haven't hopped in yet, but that is actually what I'm planning to do tomorrow. So I'm going to spend all day with that. So I'm looking keep, forward to playing that. I keep forgetting that was originally supposed to come out on our xboxes this october yeah it was so, so it, before, it was well september out, late, oh, late september that's right so 
So yeah. coming out in PC in November and then early next year for consoles, correct? That's their current. They have not given a date for consoles. They've said it's November 30 for PC. I'm holding out for still this year, maybe like a late December console release, technically be in 2022. We'll see because I can't imagine the console version is delayed that much further. Knock on wood, because this is inevitably when it is someone find me saying this clip it and then edit in you know the curb your expectations theme all right if you would just if someone would make a note of that please but you know hopefully uh people on xbox series x and s are playing it very soon after their pc friends for sure one other game i want to touch on real quick and it's the game i've been having shown during the stream today and that is dragon ball the breakers and this is a game i've been just watching from the sidelines with morbid curiosity because this was revealed i want to say last year and i could not believe that they were trying to translate dragon ball z into a seven versus one asymmetrical horror game so the overall concept of this game if you're unfamiliar with it is there's one raider who is either majin Buu, cell or frieza coming to try to destroy a planet and you are basically just a random schmuck in, you're not a super saiyan on this planet. You're just a random person on this planet trying to get these keys and trying to get into a time machine to escape before the planet explodes. It is such a weird, janky game. The camera is not fixed on you. But when you move left and right, the camera does not follow you. If you're watching this gameplay here, you can rotate the camera, but you can also strafe left to right, and the camera does not stay centered on you. It's got so many weird ideas got Breath of the Wild climbing. The environments, I'm not even exaggerating, they look worse than Pokemon Legends Arceus, but they're at least in a higher resolution. Um, the game is a little bit ugly. The game is super janky. The gameplay is not that tight. That being said, I, I can't stop playing it. It's, it's, it reminds me of this really specific era in gaming, like the weird early 2000s to mid 2000s where online PC gaming had a bunch of titles where people were just throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick. And we got some weird, obscure ideas that didn't work. Um, but, and that's what this feels like. It just feels like this relic of the past that's incorporating new ideas. It's got a battle pass. It's got a progression system. Uh, one of my favorite elements is you can get the powers. So, of course, it's got a gotcha system, um, but you can, uh, you can unlock heroes. You can unlock Trunks, mm -hmm. you can unlock Goku, you can unlock Piccolo, and then you earn power, you earn power cells as you play, and you can power up. So you can go from being the schmuck, and then somebody will hit you, Freeze will shoot you with a ball, and then you'll transform into whatever character you have equipped. So you'll just randomly turn into Trunks, you'll randomly turn into Goku, and then <laughs> for a few brief seconds, you can square off. So it would be like... If you were playing Dead by Daylight, but the, when the killer catches you, you can just pull out a shotgun and like shoot them. Like, so there are <laughs> a lot of really cool ideas in this. Um, unfortunately, no crossplay, and it Oof. is region locked as well, so you can't even Oof. play with people in different countries on the same platform. So I feel like matchmaking is going to be miserable. It's been really mm -hmm. hit or miss. Sometimes I get into a match quick. Sometimes I wait five minutes. It is really all over the place. But that being said. If you want to experience something that feels like it was made 15 years ago and you're a fan of Dragon Ball Z, um, it's some dumb fun. It's, it's some genuinely dumb fun. And I played the beta 
I played the beta, walked away from the beta thinking, wow, this is bad. This is a bad game. <laughs> I don't know how anyone's going to play it to, I think I've put in like five hours in the last day or two. So I've been, um, I've been immersed in this weird, ugly, janky Dragon Ball game. And I'm curious to see if it has any sort of longevity. Because there is a season pass. They're calling this season one. It's got your typical battle pass mm -hmm. in it. So that I have to imagine they're planning some sort of tale for it. But also, the no cross play is going to really hurt the game. So Sam, I got to ask. First off, did you even remember this was coming out? No, I did not. And I remember most of the games that are coming out, but this one I missed. I completely, utterly missed this. Zero marketing, zero energy. It just dropped out of nowhere. There was no buzz for it, no fanfare for it. Um, I know you're not a big asymmetrical guy, typically. Is this something in any world you would ever even play or bother playing? I'm going to be honest, no. No. Not when you literally just talked about uh, Ghostbusters <laughs> and it's like, oh, asymmetrical multiplayer. Like, that's where my brain is at. I'm still back on that. It hasn't caught up yet. I'm lagging. Um, it, it, what you're talking about is interesting. It has some neat ideas, but it sounds like there's too many issues. And I'll be honest, don't crucify me for this, but I'm not a big Dragon Ball Z fan. <gasps> oh, it's my just, God. It's, it's never been something that's at the forefront. I don't mind it. I think it's fine, but it's never been something super compelling for me. So, yeah, hearing about these two games, I'm going to go with Ghostbusters. Yes. If you want a good asymmetrical game, just play Evil Dead the game and or play Ghostbusters. Both of those are, I would say, infinitely better. If I was reviewing mm -hmm. this, if I was giving my brutally honest review of Dragon Ball the Breakers, I'd probably give it I'd probably get a five, five out of 10, 2.5, maybe even a four. But again, like, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the overall experience. There's just nothing like it. And I think that's really what's the most fascinating. You get all these weird gadgets. You can transform into different characters. You unlock characters' abilities. So I got a TN card. I drew a TN card. And because I drew TN, I got Solar Flare. So now when I'm playing as the random schmuck, if someone tries to like catch me, I can just do a <laughs> Solar Flare move and run away. Or I can drop a smoke bomb and run away. And you have a grappling hook. You have all these weird gadgets. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what it is about the experience that I find so interesting. But I recognize that it's not a good game. But I also am having a lot of fun with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. And uh, I'm playing with some buddies. And we all kind of feel the same way. Like we understand that it's a bad game. Mm -hmm. But we also really want to keep playing it. So again, it's 20 bucks. So I can't really recommend if it was free to play, I would say go download it right now and just check it out. But it's 20 bucks, sure. so there is a barrier to entry. And that barrier to entry for some people, they're going to be like, why did I spend $20 on it? So free to play would be the better call. Maybe in two months, they'll just make it free to play with cross play. And I think that would be the right. Maybe you can find a little more of an audience then at that yeah. point. Yeah. All right, Sam. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Huge shout out to all the amazing people who joined us live. Huge shout out to all the people who listened on audio services. One more time for the amazing folks who were tuning in. Let them know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me over on Twitter at Samuel Talbert. It's just my name, nothing else. T-O-L-B-E-R-T. -E and uh, you can find everything I'm writing over on Windows Central and its sister sites. We've published a lot in the last week. And by God, we still got a couple of months to go. It's, yes. it's going to be packed. Yes, we do. And actually, I'm going to get to one. Uh, we got a last minute super chat that came in. That's okay. actually a spicy one here. So let me get, let me get that real quick. What do you think? 
of the Bayonetta 3 voice actor situation. So, for those unaware, uh, um, Helena Taylor has come out on social media. She put out a video where she gets in front of a camera and she says, point blank, that the reason that she didn't return to voice Bayonetta for Bayonetta 3 is because she was offered a flat rate of $4,000 to do all of the dialogue for the character in Bayonetta 3. So this is the third entry in a very successful franchise that's now being published by Nintendo, being developed by Platinum Games. For the Nintendo camp of folks, this is one of the most highly anticipated games of the year by quite a bit. I know a lot of people very excited about this. Helena did the voice of the first of the character in the first two games. And so to see her come out and basically, she's calling for a boycott of the game. She is saying that, you know, the reason I'm not doing this is because they are insulting my, you know, talent. They're insulting what I've invested into this character, into this franchise. And I wasn't going to do it for $4,000. They've replaced her with Jennifer Hale. Jennifer Hale, yes. So I'm curious to see if they ended up paying Jennifer Hale more or if Jennifer Hale... I can't imagine Jennifer Hale just did it for 4,000 bucks. She's Jennifer Hale is not a nobody. She is a queen in voice acting. She's very well known for a lot of stuff. This, there's no way they only paid her 4,000. They probably didn't even pay her eight, like just 8,000. Um, I know Josh Sawyer who, uh, you know, a game director over at Obsidian known for fault, New Vegas, Pentiment is upcoming. He reacted with shock. And in a Twitter thread, he basically said, yeah, I've never heard of anything this low. This is just, unheard of for a lead character in a uh in a game union or non-union i don't know what's going on here i'm not going to speculate too much because of the nature of this what i will say is this if this is true shame on nintendo and shame on platinum because this is awful this is one of if this is true and there's nothing else being left out here this is one of the worst situations i've ever heard of when it comes to, you know, a voice actor, a performance actor being treated this way in the gaming industry. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not happy about it. Yeah, that's that's where I align. Again, like I can't say with 100% confidence that this is the reality of the situation, but based on her comments, um, that would be such a staggeringly low figure, such an abysmally yeah. low figure for a game published Insulting. by Nintendo. Insulting you can't tell me that Nintendo does not have the resources to pay the lead character of one of their now biggest... Fr- Nintendo has leaned heavily into the Bayonetta franchise. They have really embraced it, lifted it up as a as a staple for the Nintendo platform and to offer your lead character 4000 No royalties. She stressed that this was a flat rate of $4,000. Sometimes in these situations, you get a lower flat rate, but then you'll get royalties based on sales, right, right, blah, 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 right. bonuses, blah, blah, blah. But she is coming out and saying a flat rate of $4,000, which is just, that's a slap in the face. And then Kamiya of Platinum Games has come out on Twitter and basically called her a liar, which has added some more drama to the situation. He basically came out and said that it's appalling that people would buy into these untruths. And then he had some fuck, he had some freaking uh, vague sweat of, Careful there. <laughs> Be, beware of my rules in all caps. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? Are you, you're calling oh, her I mean, a, a liar and then threatening her? Is that the escalation of this? I guess it's a good thing. Kamiya is known for being a very reasonable, calm person <laughs> who doesn't overreact to situations then. Right. 
Exactly. Yes, Kamiya. Everyone loves him. He definitely doesn't just overreact to anything and everything. He's a very well-balanced individual on social media, and we all love his charming characteristics. Um, yeah, I worked. I've talked about this before, but I worked in film in, in Hollywood, and this just reminds me of one of those situations where they probably strong-armed her and said, you know, like, hey, we'll give you four thousand dollars, or we have people lined up around the block who would do it for that price, and that's kind of how they use it. You, you get terrible pay. You get abysmal pay in exchange for exposure. You get your name attached to this big character. You're in Bayonetta 3. You get your name in the credits. That should be that should be enough compensation. So you see stuff like that a lot in old Hollywood. It was one of the main reasons that I had no interest in continuing my career in the films industry is because that was time and time again. Oh, well, this actor's involved with the project. Okay, cool. But what does that mean for my pay? Oh, nothing? I'm still getting paid terribly? No, no, thank you. I don't care who's in this movie. You know, we got bills to pay. All right. I don't, I don't care at all what this mm -hmm. means for exposure, because as you will learn, if everyone is willing to jump in and undercut you and do roles for no money, the value of you getting into the industry just continues to diminish. And that's the know problem. Your worth. Know that's the, your that is worth. the fundamental problem with a lot of these companies they exploit people's passions and i cannot stand it it's so disgusting it's so we all want to do it we, we'll all make sacrifices to get in we'll all take pay cuts we'll all do jobs for low rates to try to get in to try to get our foot in the door and try to build a name for ourselves and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't but the hard reality is if everyone is willing to do the work for nothing then you will never be able to make anything and that's just that's the situation some of these companies want they want you to be desperate enough where you get offered $4,000 to do Bayonetta and you say, sure. But no, that's that, if that is the truth of the situation, it's disgusting, it's appalling, it's embarrassing. And any big company who tries to flex, I know Disney's notorious for it, Marvel's notorious for it. Um, anyone who tries to flex their position into making people take abysmal pay is not someone you should al align with, not someone you should support. Um, and again, it's up to you whether or not you're going to boycott the game obviously you're you're entitled to do whatever you want with your money but that is wildly upsetting if that is true if that is the reality of the situation um that is just unbelievable and um i'm glad she came out if that is the truth i'm glad she came yeah. out and said what was going on because we all need to hear that we all need to hear the reality of these situations because the reality is that happens constantly and people are undermined constantly, undervalued constantly. And you're made to feel guilty for wanting more. You're made to feel guilty for being compensated for your work. And, um, woof, yikes, gross, disgusting. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And well that's a weird way to end the show, but yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. So huge thank you to everyone who tunes in and we will be back next week with Rebecca Valentine of IGN joining me Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Take care and talk to you soon, everybody. Take care.